Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello guys and welcome to the Stardom Cast, your weekly or sort of audio source of all things World Wonder Ring Stardom right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host Rob Goodwin and I'm joined by the fledgling YouTube superstar himself, Chris O'Brien. Chris O'Brien, how are you? Fledgling. Fledgling, yeah, because you know it's just, it's starting, it's gaining momentum. Um, yeah, it's going well. I, I, we're gonna have to have a serious talk about pay. Um, <laughs> I am the star of this podcast. No, I'm not. Uh, right, like, on, okay. on, honestly, I have opinions on the um on these shows that you know might get me ousted from our Discord, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we should talk about pay because my last video got copyright claimed. <laughs> Did it actually? Yeah, because it. Um, okay, so initially I put up like if I'm considering using the actual footage, I put up I'll put up a bit like unlisted, um, to see if it will get claimed. So I put up a bit um unlisted with the re footage and like it was dicey. So I was like, I'm just gonna use photos. This is my Brock Lesnar video that just came out, and so I. Just did it with photos, uh, which was fucking awful for the Cena match, by the way, because all the official WWE ones were like black and white. So I had to like find screenshots, and if I couldn't find screenshots, go take screenshots. It was a time. Um, and then the screenshots came out badly, so I just buckled. Anyway, um, but yeah, because I'm using entrance themes to introduce the match, um, both Motorhead and Living Color have <laughs> claimed the video. So really? if I if ever. So if it ever gets um, monetized, I, I I'm not making video uh, money off that Blasner video. But to be fair, I'm nowhere near monetization yet, so I'm not really that fussed. <laughs> I mean, I I I did enjoy the Brock Lesnar video. If you haven't already checked it out, please do the uh, the rants. Just just the entire section about um, Brock's feud with Triple H um, is. Highly entertaining. So if you haven't already subscribed and watched it, please do. It is uh, it is hilariously entertaining. Um, so apart from becoming YouTube's next big thing, the next KSI, um, what else have you been up to, Chris? Did you just say the one YouTuber you could think of? Honestly, it was between him and PewDiePie, and I don't know if PewDiePie is a thing anymore. Do you not know any... Like, um, even, like, he, KSI, hasn't he been making a bit of money fighting other YouTubers. Don't you know any of that? I, th- I think he's made a, more than a bit of money. I think it's like millions. Yeah. And he, isn't he also a rapper? What, what a man. Um... He's also on Celebrity Gogglebox. 
to be fair, the celebrity anything on TV stretches the definition of celebrity to its absolute breaking point. Could not agree more. Like, then again, both Gallagher's have appeared on that, so... I didn't know... Um, I didn't know Liam... No, I didn't know Noel, lad. I've seen Liam on it. Noel was on a stand-up to cancer special of it in, like, oh, okay. 2015. Um, I, I know most things that go on in Noel Gallagher's life don't read too much into that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, apart from that, I've been watching a lot of wrestling over the past wee while. Like, I know I know that's wit, like, that, no shit, but <laughs> it's start of the year, so whenever start of the year um, happens, I, like, try to go in on promotions that I'm interested in. Like, last year, I went in on Noah, which ended up ruining my life for the whole year. Um, and I'm going to, I've not checked out yet, but I'm going to check out the Seedling Show, because I've heard good things. And also, it inc- includes both um, Nene and... Um, Yoshiko, which which is good for our upcoming stardom show, so it's good background research. By the way, thank you, Velkage, for sending me sending us the um watch list for Nene. That was great. Yes, um, massive shout out to Velkage. Thank you very much. Got to um got to watch another Takumi Aroha match. <laughs> Never a bad thing. Um, I also watched the latest TJPW show, which I don't think Velkage is very happy about <laughs> with me because I. Do not understand. I do not know the history behind these matches, and apparently there's a lot of history. But then I gave um, what was it? Yamashita versus Maki Ito three and three quarter stars, and people are calling it like for match of the year. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you did do the same with Omega versus Phoenix as well from the last Dynamite. But like to be fair, that was just a spot fest. Like there's beyond the moves, there's nothing there for me to get excited about. <laughs> No, but those two do do the mo- they do do the wrestling quite well. They do do yeah. the moves quite well. At so- at some point, there was like a moonsault into a German suplex, which is something I used to do in my fucking figures, and like that's always going to pop me. And that's actually what got it on my match for year thread on Twitter. You know, the most prestigious part because Dave Meltzer's a hat. No, it's not. I, that's, I'm being mean to poor Dave. Um... Like Dave is going to give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but well, it sounds a bit. Dave needs some education on. <laughs> well, you've done very well to uh, transition into what we're going to talk about initially. Um, I need to try when Garth's not here. Yeah, I, I need to try when Garth's not here. Um, God, the king of segues. Um, yeah, yeah, we've got a couple of things to talk about on this podcast. Um, we've got obviously the New Year Stars tour um, is in the process of wrapping up. It wraps up on the twenty fourth and. No, it's just the 24th. There's a day and night show on the 24th. So we've had five nights of that, and then obviously it is the 10th anniversary show at Corican, um, which has just finished uploading today. Um, so we're going to review all of those. Not all of the matches from the New Year Stars Tour. We're just going to cherry-pick some of the matches because you think you want to hear us talk about five matches on five different nights, but you really, really, really don't. So there's only so much Oida Tai versus DDM in the main event that... We can stomach, really. There's so, only there's only so many Unagi singles matches we can go of. Well, in a moment, I'm going to shock you all. I'm going to shock you all. Um, anyway, so talking about Big Dave, um, he's come out with a two interesting stories this week. Now, the first one uh, is in regard to Mayu, who it was it was announced that she was going to take a couple of shows off because she was in poor physical condition, uh, which 
if you watch Mayu matches, is not surprising in any way. Um, but Dave put in the Wrestling Observer newsletter, this is the quote that I took from Facebook, and I cannot remember who posted it, so I apologize, but this is the quote. Uh, if you understood, or if you understand Japanese women's wrestling, such an injury would have to be pretty significant to keep her out. She's bought for the January 17th Corican show, but only in the opener, a tag elimination with Ruaka, which presumably means they'll be eliminated quickly. I guess we'll know after the 17th the extent of this injury based on how physical she gets. If she doesn't do any bumps, that's not a good sign. However, showing up at all is a good sign, so I don't know. Um, basically, what Dave has said is, Mayu is hurt, it could be something, or it could be nothing. Now, first things first, before I throw to you, Chris, it is worth completely debunking this, because Mayu has been booked in the main event, I believe, of the 24th show, the night show of the 24th in the singles match with Tam. So, I can't see her. I'm not saying that she's not hurt, I'm not saying that the back injury isn't bad. There have been photos with her having um, sort of massages on her back, and um, sort of, um, there's been machines and wires... Uh, wired up to her back so obviously she is in quite a lot of pain with it what i will say is jumping ahead to the 17th the back tape was off um and the last time we saw mayu which was year-end climax i believe she was very 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 heavily taped so you look she didn't do a tremendous amount on the elimination tag um but she still did a gnarly looking suicide dive which is mayu's um sort of mayu's trademark at the moment so Fingers crossed, it's just a build-up and a little nothing that a little bit of time off won't fix. Um, people on Facebook, I think, were a little bit concerned that it was going to be a retirement thing. I don't think it's that at all. Um, thinking positively, I think she's hurt and she's probably going to take a little bit of time off, but I don't see it being anything huge. What about you, Chris? Um, I hadn't heard about this, so I, and I didn't really notice anything in the May match here. Mm. Um, if she's been booked, I guess it's not awful, but also we know that wrestlers shouldn't be in charge of when they should and shouldn't wrestle. No, agreed. Agreed. So, I, I, I can't comment. At some point, we do need to try and get a start of Insider, because... <laughs> <laughs> if there is anybody out there, ladies and gentlemen, that listens to our podcast that is willing to be our stardom insider, we will pay you handsomely in gifts. Uh, so we we will send you memes. We will give you head pats. We cannot afford to give you money. We will shout um, you out on the podcast. Um, that we we literally have nothing else. We can we 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 will get, we can offer you gaff. I think he'll take any excuse not to be around his kids. <laughs> Which, to be fair, we might have to pay them to take Garth. It's <laughs> a sitting there going, but Josie nerd, it's like Garth, stop it. <laughs> Basically, what we've said is, you can be our stardom insider, and we'll give you an angry old man who hates all Japanese wrestling. Yeah, uh, but I don't know, like, because because we know from Arisa that stardom doesn't always step in when people definitely do need time off mm. so i i can't i can't comment because i literally don't know and I, I i can kind of just hope that it's not that because and then sadam are currently in a like a rebuilding process for establishing their new, their new main event scene is kind of seen on this show um or on our main show today so but like you kind of need mayu and to a to a 
bit of a lesser extent Momo to hold that down. And like without Maeve, it's going to be bad news, really, isn't it? Because like, like, let me put it this way: it's like there are other um, stars in say, if you, I swear to God, if you do the beep, I will hurt you. Um, there are more stars in all Japan than Kenta Miara. But I'm going to cause a conspiracy somehow, somehow, <laughs> so that everywhere you go, just in the distance somewhere. The greatest showman will be playing. The greatest showman will be playing, and you will not know where it's coming from. It will be too far away for you to stop, and it will drive you fucking insane. And (laughs) to the point where, when you do that, Miyahara alarm, all you can be able to shout is, "This is me." That's all you'll be able to do. You'll turn into a fucking Pokemon. Now, um, like there's more stars in all Japan than Kanto, but if he left right now. All Japan would end up in a pretty sorry state, wouldn't it? Because they have no one on that level. Stardom has no one right now on sort of Mayu's level. They're building people, but that takes time. So I think aside from being tremendous in ring, I mean, we're talking about it as though, you know, it's a huge negative. This is, I mean, fingers crossed, it's absolutely nothing. She is now booked mm. on other shows. Um, so let's, you know, let's just take that with a pinch of salt. Um but she's been there since the start. Um, she's She was a tremendous red belt champion last year. I think it would be a very different conversation if she was still red belt champion and was still putting on 20-minute, really, really high-impact matches in the way that she was doing last year. Um, but especially at the moment, she can get away with being in comedy six-woman tags, which is pretty much what she has been doing the entirety of this tour. So mm-hmm. let's just take it with a pinch of salt. Let's just assume that everything is okay. Okay, I know that obviously the Orissa example is the glaring, glaring anomaly. Um, and obviously we've had, uh, was it Shuki? I can never say a name. Ashino? Yeah, it's Ashino that retired early, late last year as well. So look, Let's just assume it's nothing. We hope it's nothing. Um, she's been booked on shows, so let's just assume it's just a little bit of wear and tear that she does need some time off eventually, which wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility, to be perfectly honest. If you want to give her time off after this show, would have been perfect because you you want to there for a couple of weeks leading up to Budokan, but like especially right now since you're they're obviously trying to go for a bit of. Um, main event on the younger side mm. for Budokan. Um, it'd have been a good time for her to step away for a bit, if like she needed the time off. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Um, moving on from Mayu, then Dave posted something else about Rio, and this is this is a lot more interesting because obviously it was widely reported that uh, Rio was completely done with Stardom, um, and that she was going back to All Elite Wrestling. Um, Dave published the following, which is a little bit of a head-scratcher. They can bring her in. The thing with her is that she lives in Japan, then she'd have to quarantine to go back, and that's a tough deal. If she was living there, she'd be on TV every week. They do bring Pac back and forth, which is a kind of a hassle. He comes here for a couple of weeks, then he has to quarantine for two weeks, then go home. Two weeks just to get home. It's not worth staying home for a week. If you've got to take two weeks to get home, so it's really tough. 
It's just a tough business right now. It's a tough world. That will be the same with Riho, I think, like with Pac. I think they've got ideas for Pac to be in major matches, so it's worth doing. But Riho, it's not like there's going to be great major matches for her. So it's kind of like, why put her through this, I guess? They haven't used Shima and T-Hawk and Linderman either for the same reason or similar reasons, because it's just not worth bringing them in. Now, that is... That's a bizarre thing to read for, well, one massive reason why has Riho wrapped up with Stardom to go to a promotion that aren't going to book her because, you know, of, of obvious circumstances. And I, I do I do appreciate, you know, you are going to have to spend a lot of time isolating to be on television. Um but it does it does raise the question, if she's not going to be wrestling for stardom, she's not going to be wrestling for All Elite Wrestling. And, you know, let's be honest, Phil, Dave gets a little bit mocked for his knowledge on Joshi Wrestling because he dips in and out, which is absolutely fine. But it's All Elite Wrestling. He's going to know considerably more about that. So I do tend to believe what he's written about this. Why? Why is... Why is Riho stopped wrestling with Stardom? That that doesn't make a oh. lot of sense to me. Rio was wrestling for other places as well before, um, alongside Stardom. Like she's appeared in DDT and stuff like that, which AEW have somewhat of a working relationship with, but not really. It's weird. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if she's not working for Stardom because of the ultimatum we talked about. Was it last time or the time before? One of the two, and then. Uh, um, but she might wrestle like in different promotions. Like, look at Sari, where she's be- basically contracted to WWE, but she's still appearing in like Seedling and TJP. Mm. So it might be a case of she will still be wrestling in Japan under like the same restrictions AEW's put on her in Stardom, but in different places, maybe. Fair enough. I just I, I thought I it was a really that. yeah. It like I think it's more of a long term really thing. Like. It... I think that's more of a long-term thing where um, AEW is going to give her more in the long term than in Stardom. Because like you play, like if you were to place Riho in Stardom right now, the only place you'd really want her is the high-speed division. In terms of like the style she wrestles, because <clears throat> she doesn't she doesn't really throw bombs well enough to do well in the main event scenes. So you can either be the head of an admittedly pretty rubbish um, women's division elsewhere or you can be mid card here and in like the long term AEW probably seems more um profitable like overall in both money and um exposure than stardom. Which is fine and I completely like, accept that point. But if she's not gonna be booked in all elite wrestling, what's the point? What's the point and I, I understand that stardom are wanting to sign Everyone, they're not. They're trying not to rely as much on freelancers. You know, we've just had Natsupoy sign a contract with Stardom, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, so I do understand it from that standpoint. But ultimately, Riho now isn't wrestling for Stardom, and now isn't wrestling for All Wrestling. And again, it's only what's been reported in the newsletter. But even so, that's another interesting thing. Like. Why go to other Japanese wrestling companies when, if what we are led to believe, 
were the conditions of Rio wrestling in stardom in the first place. They're going to be the same conditions that she's got to wrestle under in any promotion in Japan because ultimately she's contracted to All Elite Wrestling. So why why leave? Why leave? If there if there's a guaranteed sort of you are going to be booked here, 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 and here in All Elite, then fine, okay. But in that meantime, why not carry on in stardom? Yes, we've talked about how she was giving about 25%, but that's I still stand by the fact that she's limited by what she's been told to do. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Again, I don't I, I in the long term I think that um that's what she's looking at instead of just um for now cuz if we're led to believe that this thing's almost over. Um so I think she sees in like six months, seven months, maybe she'd be willing to wait out a year. AEW will be there and she'd rather. And the stardom's not wanting part time. Is there any freelancers stardom are using right now? Now that Nat's a place um, signed. The only one that you can really think of is Natsu Samir. And that's obviously she's out with injury at the moment. So, yeah, so we don't actually know where that's going to go. So in that case, I, she might just get booked in a different promotion instead of Stardom because again she has connect she has an in with like DDT she has and Gata doing move. short yeah and that's thing if you, it, with um say she she goes with like DDT or something like she did earlier in the year earlier last year rather um doing stupid undercard comedy matches will probably be less annoying to DDT's fan base. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I just, it, it it was one of those where I read it and I was like, I'm going to have to talk about this on the podcast because I just, I, I couldn't get my head around it. Anyway, let's concentrate on stuff that we are here to talk about and that is the New Year's Stars Tour. Now, there's been five dates up to the 10th anniversary show. And again, like I said before, I'm not going to run through every single match from every single night because, again, it's just it's it's a lot. So we're just going to cherry-pick some of the matches. So the first show of the tour took place on the 2nd of January uh, in Shinkiba First Ring in front of 161 people. And I just want to highlight, Chris, not in loads and loads of detail, the um, two the main and the semi-main. So the first was Yutomi Aishishite in a non-title singles match with Yunagi Sayaka. Oh my love, I butchered that name, didn't I? Yunagi Sayaka um, at 10 minutes and 18 seconds with the Argentine backbreaker. And you know what? Fuck it. I enjoyed this match. Um, you, enjoyed a ma- you enjoyed a match from a promotion you enjoy? Oh shit. And oh fuck. You- I've... I've said on many, many occasions, and this is going to ring true for the match <clears throat> um, on the ten- on the Hello. anniversary show. Yeah. Um, honestly, I thought Yunagi showed a lot of character, and what offense she does actually have looked a little bit more crisp than it did before. She she really had that baby face fire, and it helped as well that the crowd were really, really behind her. I still I still find her a little bit bland but she's trying to improve. There was a big frog splash to the outside, which looked really good. She was given a lot by Utami as well. She kicked out of the air raid crash. 
So it's a marked improvement, and it's worth rubber stamping here that this, I believe, is her first or was her first singles match in stardom. So she looked considerably less lost. And that's been the real thing for me. There's been a lack of offense and a little bit bland. And the fact that in tag matches, she's often looking to Tam, especially for things like positioning and things. And when she's in a singles match, there was far less of that. And there is going to be far more of a spotlight on Yanagi with Mina being out with the broken nose for two months. So she is going to be thrust more into the spotlight, potentially more than she was going to be originally. But I thought she gave a really good account of herself here. I thought Utami looked brilliant. She gave Yanagi a lot, like I said before, maybe a little bit too much. Um, but overall, a good match solidified Yunagi as an underdog, which is the character that we needed to play, the one with the babyface fire. And ultimately, I gave it three and a quarter. I thought it was a really entertaining match, Chris. Um, this is a match I had on, but didn't watch properly, if that makes sense. Completely so I can't. So I can't speak to it properly, but yeah, from it, it was fine. It was a fine enough match, um, especially against the champion. And Itami isn't quite at the point where she can carry people yet, so it had to take two to tangle here, and they tangled okay. It was a fine enough D show match. That brings us on to the main event then, and I won, which was the best of three falls match uh, between Donna Del Mondo, uh, the team of Julia. Micah, Natsupoi, and Siori uh, taking on Uedatai, B. Priestley, Konami, Natsuki Tora, and Saki Kashima beating them 2-1 with the final fall taking place at 17 minutes and 33 seconds. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up, Chris, um, is because... It's because Newcastle lost 2-1 recently. Shut the fuck up. Uh, did we actually... I, I just took a stab in the dark. Have we actually lost 2-1 recently? Chris, you could say, have Newcastle lost at any <laughs> time of the year? And the chances are you are right. But was it 2-1? Um, uh, we lost 2-1 to Leicester about three weeks ago. In the meantime, we've lost to Arsenal twice without scoring. We've lost to Man City. To Leicester? Leicester I, didn't even know Leicester had a, I didn't even know Leicester had a football team. God, you must be shite. Leicester won the Premier League four years ago. Oh. But good for them. Jesus fucking Christ. I don't watch football. Um, so there's there's plenty of good to come out of this match, but as apparently comes part and parcel with most of the time matches, there was some fucking head scratching booking. Now, um, just quickly, Chris, did you watch this match? Um, yeah, okay. but I but I didn't take notes, but as a joke, I just copy and pasted my notes from previous. <laughs> <laughs> Every Oida time match is the same. Um. There was just a couple of things. The first thing is, give me Konami versus Suri now, you cowards. What an exchange to start off with. It's the most invigorated I've seen Konami in, well, since the turn. And that will bleed into her match with Natsupoi on the Corican show. She looked genuinely at ease with the character. She was fighting viciously. And her and Suri very, very much complement each other and I've seen people say that well Konami isn't over because Suri does the same sort of thing and I do agree with that however if you look at Suri concentrating a lot on the strikes and then you look at Konami who at the moment is now focusing a lot more on the submission 
ground-based game, they're not massively similar now. They have their differences. They are far enough apart for you to be able to have Konami in a prominent position and Suri in a prominent position, which I think people were thinking was the issue. Um, the opening exchange was terrific, and they will continue to fight throughout the tour, which I thought was brilliant. Um, we waited. This match went 17 minutes and 33 seconds. The first fall didn't happen until the 14th minute. 14 minutes and 13 seconds, to be precise. So long had went by that I forgot it was two out of three falls. Exactly. Now, this is the thing. There are a couple things that really boggled my mind about this match. Now, the first, okay, Tora hits Julie with a chair, hits her with a Death Valley bomb for the win. That's fine. I That is heel. That's fine. I don't mind that. That's not the issue. Now, just after that, okay, less than 30, well, less than 40 seconds later, 37 seconds later, in fact, Donna Del Mondo are then level because Tora gets herself DQ'd by the chain hanging spot. Now, I know I hate this spot to to my very core. Every molecule of my being hates this fucking move. But... Much like um, Newcastle's manager. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, mate. Um, a cynical man would call them nonsensical idiots. And while them using this fucking tripe so often that they it just lends themselves to being called that, the impact is significantly lessened. However, in a three out of, in a three falls match, Chris, mm-hmm. basic heel psychology is you beat them into a pulp. You sacrifice a fall to beat them into a pulp. You look at um, mm-hmm. the great example of this is Extreme Rules 2012, and I'm sorry I'm referencing the WWE, but it's the example that I like to use. In Extreme Rules 2012, Daniel Bryan is the heel, Sheamus is the face, which is a baffling dynamic looking back at it, but there we are. Daniel Bryan was a fantastic heel, but there we are. Yeah, um, Rob hates the Irish. <laughs> Daniel Bryan realises that Sheamus's leg, or I think it's his arm, I can't it's ages since I've seen the match, but he realises that a body part is fucked. When he, takes the, when he gets the first fall, he realises that it's absolutely fucked. So he sacrifices that second fall, thinking, do you know what? I'm going to target that. And that way, then, I know that he's not going to be able to come back and get that third fall. I'm going to sacrifice this fall so that I know I get the third fall. Now, that in a singles match is good heel psychology. That works. Where it fell apart here, Chris, was that Julia got hanged and then immediately tagged out. (laughs) Immediately (laughs) tagged out so that Suri came in. And it was like, so that 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 does just make Oida Tai look like fucking idiots. And then, of course, they did lose with Natsupoi hitting the German suplex on Saki. So, ultimately, then I understand the psychology, and I understand what they were trying to achieve, which is me defending Oida, the recent incarnation of Oida Tai, which is something that I haven't done in the entire 23 episodes I've been doing this fucking podcast. But that made them look stupid. The booking was ridiculous. If they'd have spent ages, it didn't even require a lot of booking changes. All you had to do was have the first fall happen earlier. Okay, even the second fall happen earlier. And then have an extended period where you just beat the piss into Julia. Have Julia keep kicking out. And then eventually get Julia to tag out. Don't have it happen 
instantly. Or, or you could have it play out as the second um, Toro gets himself DQ'd and then um, DDM on the back foot for the rest of the match because we have a numbers disadvantage. There are plenty of ways they could have played this. It seemed like the idea was there and then the execution was so, so lazy. And I must admit... Away the tie. <laughs> no, I did feel sorry for Away the tie because that booking should make sense. But when Julie just rolls over and tags, it was Natsupoy she tagged in. And it was like, oh, okay, so that's that then. And then less than, what was it? Less than three minutes later, they'd lost. And it was it was just really, yeah. really jarring. Uh, really pointless. And it made Oida Tai look stupid, which unfortunately we seem to be getting more and more of, especially with these chain spots. Um, however, much as I have ragged on the match, the opening... And a lot of the in-ring action and chemistry that took place in those first 14 minutes was very, very good. Um, So I gave it two and three quarter stars just because shambolic booking aside, I thought the women in ring did a pretty good job. Yeah, they tried. We were fighting an uphill battle with the booking, which is always the case with a weather time matches in the past, well, since Kagetsu left, really. Yeah. So, yeah, poor, poor stable, poor stable. Um, oh, right, we have another one of these to talk about. Great. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to veto it. So we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna go to night two then, which was on the third of January again from Chinkiba first ring again in front of 161 people. Um, we're not going to talk about the main event because it's, it's almost an exact carbon copy of the match that you've just seen to the point where the fall happens on the in the 14th minute. So it's DDM and Aweeda tie. I'm not going to bother talking about that. You, you're not missing a lot. What I will say, however, just quickly going back to night one, the Stars tag team match, uh, Mayu, Sayurida and Starlight Kid versus Azumi Momo and Sai Kamatani. That is absolutely worth a watch. Go and check that out. That was easily match of the night. Um, the match I want to talk about from night two, Chris, um, is the time limit draw between Momo Watanabe and Suri. And I wanted to talk to you about it for a couple of reasons. The first, um, at the end of night one, um, Suri sort of takes pity on Momo um, with B Priestley doing her typical, you know, show pie shtick, which was really rammed home throughout this tour. Um, and sort of was like, right, well, actually... Momo is a really, really good wrestler. And it seemed that this match was almost there for Suri to show everyone just how good Momo Watanabe was and is. And this match was brilliant. It was a really, really oh. good, high-speed sort of it, prelude to what we're going to get on the 30th it, it, of January. It, it, it was good, but one thing I need to point out is that Momo has essentially pitied her way into two title shots in the past couple months. Maybe that's a new gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> just, can I have a title shot? No, just a fucking person boots thing for him. <laughs> Look how many times I've lost, though. All right, you can have a title match. Go on, Momo. Um, but um, yeah, this was good. I'm a very easy person to please. So when we spent for the last half of this match basically just taking turns kicking the tire out of each other, 
I was fine. What one thing about this match, and it's an obvious thing being a prelude to a title match, they were definitely holding back a bit. Like this felt like a prolonged sequence they'd get in a tag match. Which I'm fine with, because it's a road to show. So I don't want them to give away the big match here. I'm happy to have this preview. Um but yeah, this is really fun. And to be fair, like we've been waiting for this match for well basically since Shiri came in. We've been teasing it ever since then. So I'm kind of glad it's happened and we're finally going to get a proper version of this match come um, the next big show. So, Not only that, it's the main event of the Corrigan Hall show on the 30th. So mm-hmm. they're going to be given a lot of time. So yeah. the, I think, you know, we, we, talk, we talked, um, especially around uh, September, October time, about just being inundated with time limit draws and just they seem to be really, really lazy booking tropes. However, here I thought it made perfect sense. You know, both women are of a similar caliber, of a similar style, and they need more than 15 minutes to separate them. I I liked that as a very basic story going into um, the title, the SWA title match. Um, I gave it three and a half stars, Chris. Like you, I think, you know, it's it's very much... The example I'm going to give is like Okada and Ibushi at G1 Climax 29. They had a very, very, why very good... So... Why be so mean to them? <laughs> they had a very, very good block match. A very good block match. But everybody knew that they could have a better match. And then as it transpired, Coach Ibushi would win the G1 Climax and then would go on to have an exceptional match against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. So to using be fair, that what you just said there is like the um is the the um headline for most Ibushi versus Okada matches. It could have been best. <laughs> I feel VCU <laughs> can do better. Um I agree. I, I went slightly higher. I went three and three quarter. This did make it onto my match of the year thread. But um, yeah, I have a feeling for the actual match. It's like the f- this match, the Momo Shuri match coming up is the first time in a while we've been hyped for a match going in. I think the last time that happened, it was a sad match last time that happened, but I can't remember what one it was because time numbs all emotions. Um, I don't remember. But this is great. Again, just have two people kicking the tower at each other, I'm probably going to be a little bit happy. Rob has seen what I like. I sent him, I sent him, I think it was on a Freedom show, I think that's what it was from. It was a package pile driver off of the apron, and they did not react happy to that in the group chat. No, did Rob react happily to the um, Darby Allen thing I tagged him in earlier. <laughs> um, so night three uh, took place from KFC Hall. It was a daytime show <laughs> from the 4th of January. Uh, this is in front of 186 people. Um, and the match I want to talk about is the right the three-way nine-woman tag team match. Now, the reason I want to bring this up is because apparently no fucker had any idea what the rules were. And in fact, DDM's entire promo was trying to work out what the fuck was supposed to be the rules. Because the idea was that there were no touch rules, which means you don't have to tag in and out. Where in a match that contains a weeder tie, who instantly pulled everyone out of the ring, I instantly (laughs) 
completely lost who was the legal woman. However, however, this, as Chris can attest, this had a lot of the tropes of matches that I hate. We had the suplex spot. We had the giant chain head scissors spot. And it's it's stuff that I'm not really bothered about in my wrestling. However, this match, I genuinely enjoyed. It was chaotic fun. The action goes at a terrific speed. And we see yet another example of Sairida coming out of her shell, endearing herself to the audience, giving us something a little bit different to the Sairida that we've seen before, showing that she actually has pretty good comedic timing, especially when she's with Mayu. Um, I really enjoyed this match, Chris, far more than I think I should have done. Yeah, this this whole show, um, as you should expect from basically most things of January 4th that aren't um, Wrestle Kingdom or the, that aren't taking place next to Wrestle Kingdom or aren't the Tokyo Joshi show, um, are kind of just there to be little... From what I understand, like, because Korokin's right next to the Tokyo Dome or KFC Hall, is that near the Tokyo Dome? Probably is. Um, but it's basically just meant to be like a nice wee show to go to before you go into Tokyo Dome. Hmm. So, like, they're never going to produce anything great. But yeah, this was fun. This wasn't meant to be taken seriously, and everyone, but everyone kind of knew that. I'm surprised you like because my note. I, bet, I took one note for this match, and that I bet is I bet Rob fucking hated this because of all those spots you mentioned. I was like, shit. Rob will probably not like this at all. The thing is, like, you look at the other match that I can think of that had this trope in, it was the five woman from Sendai Cinderella. And that wasn't... That was set as a serious match. And as soon as you try and put something or a spot like that in a serious or something that is billed as a serious match, you, you're instantly lost because you're like, well, it's clearly not a serious match. However, here it was never billed as anything less than a comedy sort of house showy spot fest, which it was. And because it packaged itself as that, I actually really, really liked it. It didn't overdo the stupid spots. If it was just, you know, big suplexes and stupid head scissor chains, then I'd be giving a completely different review of the match. However, because we had stuff like Sayurida and Mayu going on a tear and then turning around and both Konami and Suria staring at them and Sayurida bails and leaves Mayu on her own, just little subtle things like that, everyone being locked in a submission and then Sayurida realising that she's the only one there. And actually... She just stands on the turnbuckle and starts beating her chest. And then that carries on and on and on. And it's just, it's really quite funny. So because it was stuff like that and not over-the-top stupid comedy, I was far more entertained by it. But I, I like the over-the-top stupid shit. <laughs> sorry, it is now massively hailing outside. Oh, oh, sorry, my girlfriend's just come in and is telling me it's snowing outside. Oh, we don't get snow here because we're next to the coast, and it no. doesn't lie. And it's bad because whenever it does snow, um, there's a really nice hill to go sledging, and I enjoy sledging. It reminds me of being a child who had hope, and then you can't do it anymore because life is meaningless. The fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Honestly, Jesus fucking Christ. 
I um, surprise myself sometimes. <laughs> there was a bit where Mayu attempts to interject herself in a Suri and Konami kickoff, just gets belted across the ring, and then they carry on kicking each other. It was She's genuinely. Not the smartest, is she, Mayu? Well, we'll get into that uh, <laughs> during the Corrigan <laughs> show. But genuinely, it was a fun spot fest that packaged itself as nothing else. And apart from Starlight Kid getting a nosebleed, which I've checked two or three times. And I think it was literally just a nosebleed. I don't think she caught a knee or an elbow or anything. So it was Imagine literally just, just get... a nosebleed. Maybe she just picked her nose off camera because she had a bugger and she went to oh, she went too far. Imagine if that one was... to do. <laughs> um, I gave this three and a quarter, Chris. Um, I didn't rate it. I I thought it was a bit too pure to rate. Oh no. I... I think if it, if something's good, then it deserves a rating, and therefore I, I think I was a little bit lean oh, with did, it, but I enjoyed it. I didn't do it out of like not liking the match. I did it because I thought the match was too pure. <laughs> like uh, it's, this isn't meant to be judged. I feel bad judging it. Um, so we move on to night four, which was from the ninth of January, and what a fantastic segue from it snowing outside to the fact that apparently they had more snow in Akita than at any other point it was absolutely piled up outside and pretty much every stardom wrestlers instagram and twitter was filled with them just jumping into snow throwing snowballs at each well, other natsukatora sh- attempting to spear a snow drift might be my favorite thing i've ever seen aside from shiri who spent the whole who seems to spend most of the new year shit posting <laughs> exactly exactly um this was their first time in Akita, apparently, in front of 246 people. Um, we're going to just quickly run through the main event of this show, and it's it's one of those where it's nothing particularly special. Um, it was Queen's Quest, six-woman tag, uh, Momo, Yutami, and Azumi defeating Donna Del Mondo, Julian Micah, and Natsupoy at 15 minutes and 8 seconds with the Tequila Sunrise genuinely the only reason I want to mention this is because Natsupoi was given a huge spotlight in this match and she I don't want to say that so far she's been packaged as somewhat of a pin eater for DDM but as Micah is going for a title shot you don't want to pin Micah so it's pretty much fallen on Natsupoi or Himika Um, so it was nice to see what she could do. They teased very, very, very good chemistry with both Azumi and Momo, which would obviously go on to um, be highlighted at the end of the Corican match. Um, overall, I thought a decent outing for both teams. Micah continued to look strong heading into a title match. Again, another house showy main event. I gave it three stars. Um, yeah, house showy main event. Just. None special. Not to probably get more of a spotlight was nice because she's really good <laughs> and yeah. has a staff. And I don't think anyone else cares about that. But hey, I think it's cool. Um, <laughs> um, I was happy about this because for the last Queen's Quest versus DDM match, I can remember who um, time we dropped Julia on her head. So <laughs> an actual that not happening kind of just raised this up for me. I was like, oh, good. Julia didn't almost die. Everything's fine. Moving on then to the final night of the tour before the Corican show, which was from the 11th of the first from Sendai Pit in front of 212 people that were considerably louder than the Sendai Cinderella crowd. Um, (laughs) 
going to the main you're event. You're going to let that go. No, I'm fucking not. Like, <laughs> no, I'm it's not. It's going to be like later this year at like the biggest show of the year or whatever. Like we're going to we're going to get to Budokan and you're going to be like, ha, ah, well the crowd were good. They were louder than fucking Sendai. Mate, there are empty arena matches with more atmosphere than Sendai Cinderella. <laughs> abysmal, absolutely abysmal. Yeah, because up there you have managers shouting. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. Main event was a tag team match with Julia and Shiri uh, defeating the Cosmic Angels team of Tam Nakano and Yunagi Sayaka at 17 minutes and 48 seconds with the STF. I wanted to bring this up, Chris, because it was a match I genuinely, genuinely enjoyed again. And there was just little story beats, especially with Yunagi, because you get the impression, or at least I get the impression, that she's scared of losing in a tag setting, being the one that is pinned, being the one to disappoint. And this permeates the pre-match promo. Um, She says how she doesn't want to disappoint Tam. She, you know, Tam wants to win and therefore so does she. And, you know, all of these kind of things. And it adds another layer to her character when it comes to the match, you know, she is instantly isolated by DDM who find her as the weak link in the team. And though she fights, she shows resilience and fights. um, And it's one of her, if not her best outing in a tag team setting, she's polished off by Julia with an STF, which isn't even her tertiary finisher. So even though she is resilient even though she has babyface fire, she's still not on a level where she can compete with the likes of Julia and Suri. And Julia's post-match promo, where she pretty much eviscerates Yunagi. She is fucking vile to this woman. Um, it's It was an interesting match. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I gave it three and a quarter stars. Just because we're seeing a little bit of personality in Yunagi. That's an amazing use of the word tertiary. Thank you. When I wrote it, I was really proud of myself <laughs> as well. I'm always, I always, whenever I'm right, whenever I was writing like a um, research project for uni or an essay, whenever I use a really fancy word without having to use the synonym tool in Word, I was like, you know what, Chris, you've earned the day off. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Just write one really long word. Do you know what? I'm using that in context. I am going home. <laughs> Life as a student. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, bas- I basically just agree. It's, it's, but it's awful when we agree because I have nothing to add. I like to think, Chris, it's because I've done such a good analysis of the match. Yeah, um, I want to see more Shiri versus Tam stuff. Though. Agreed. Yeah, so do I. I think we are heading towards more Tam and Julia stuff. Just from again, t- well. <laughs> This is the thing. We've had Tam's pre-match promo um, talking about how she hasn't forgotten the promise that she made to Julia. Now, the chances are we're not going to get all the way through Julia's reign without follow-up on that promise because it was such a pivotal story last year. Or Aretha comes back. Keep dreaming, mate. Um, I, 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 a man can dream. I think the chances are we are going to get Tam and Julia at Budokan, which we have seen 
quite a few times. Now, Julia, I believe, has got a defense in February. Spoilers, she retains at uh, the anniversary show. Um, I believe she's got a defense in February, and then she'll obviously go on to Budokan. So, who do you see it being? Because you need to have a strong match on that card. You need to have a strong white belt match on that card. And there are plenty of people who, you know, would have a great match with Julia. You know, you can argue that Momo Watanabe would have a great match with her. You can argue that someone like Starlight Kid would have a great match with her. But you've got the history, you've got the storyline going in with someone like Tam. Um, it does ruin... Um, a little bit of my fancy booking um, when we get to questions at the end of the show. But I imagine it's going to have to be Tam because you look at the rest of the card and no one really strikes me as a white belt challenger. That doesn't mean that it isn't going to be anyone else. We've seen just from the Corican show how quickly they can turn someone into a challenger. I just, I, I don't see a better match personally. Tora rematch, except this time it's an exploding barbed wire death match. Such a fucking idiot. <laughs> anyway, Chris. Rude, rude, rude. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the main event, as it were. Let's look at the anniversary show, which took place on the 17th of January at Corrigan Hall in front of 713 people. And from... The photos and the videos that we see, I imagine under the current COVID guideline, 713 people is going to be roughly a sellout for Corican. I imagine, because that's over half. Yes, and oh boy, they were not socially distanced well, were they? <laughs> no, they were not. No, oh, they, they were, were not. They were on top of each other, like, Jesus. And it was weird. And isn't Tokyo meant to be close to... Well, it's been, it feels like it's been close to declaring a state of emergency all month, because it has been. It has been, yeah. Nothing. I haven't read anything else about that, so... Like, it's Boris Johnson running Japan, too. What a pleb. Um, uh, I am just going to mention, um, just before we start off our reviews of some of the matches, something that wasn't televised, um, and something that um, someone called at 1222DragonMoon on Twitter... Has been kind enough to put onto Twitter so that we actually know it happened. Um, yeah. Has put what happened at the start of the show. So they've put at the beginning, all the members of the roster entered the ring by faction with their brand new uh, sweatsuits on, which I think you'll agree look fantastic. And Mayweather Watani represented the roster and made some opening remarks. Um, after those opening remarks, Yoshiko appeared on the screen and demanded that Stardom or Mayuotani should respond to her challenge within a week or they would never have a match. Uh, Rossi Ogawa later issued a statement that Stardom would not run away and they would not hide. That's a good way to do it. Like, not do, have, have it done and spread through word of mouth instead of actually putting it up because in this weird... Um, faction warfare and it, for invaders, you wouldn't actually, you wouldn't put them on your show if they did something like that, would you? No, no, I like, agree. I assume, I assume like kayfabe Yoshiko is like working with the staff rally and they hacked into the Corican Hall PA system or something, but 
bad. That would actually be amazing. Spoiler, Yoshiko is the the SmackDown uh, hacker. Yeah, um, Retribution turn up. Great stuff. Um, Not really. (laughs) Not at all. Imagine. Uh, But yeah, I think that's the correct way to do it. I think it would be more impactful if she actually turned up to do it. But I guess you don't want to have to pay someone just to turn up for something you're not even going to televise. No, no. And so, like, this is something <clears throat> WCW did with the NWO, isn't it? Like, where, where they wouldn't sell NWO t-shirts, or whatever. Because why would you sell what someone else's merch? Actually, you know who else did this? ICW. There was a fight between Joe Hendry and Lionheart, and we were trying to put it like um, Lionheart had made fo- had comments about Hendry's wife or whatever, and it boiled over to like a shoot, quote unquote. And they didn't put it on demand to try and put over the fact there was a shoot. So you know what? I, I'm into this kind of thing. It's looking like we're gonna get Mayu versus Yoshiko at Budokan, which is where which is the direction we thought they were heading anyway. Um there's no or there hasn't been any movement on a potential Nene Takahashi and Momo Watanabe match. So we'll wait and see. In that regard, that was the other direction I felt that they were heading. Um, but it does look like we're going to get Yoshiko versus Mayu. Um, so that should be <clears throat> a very, very, very entertaining match. And so I can't hear Nene Takahashi's name <laughs> without thinking of that fucking song from a few years ago. Let me whip, let me Nene. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm sure you love that as a teacher. So many songs I love as a teacher. Sorry, I was taking a drink of tea. I thought <laughs> you were going to. I thought you were going to talk for longer than that. So I thought I could no, sneak but... in a brew. But like, yeah, I, it's it's bad because I have to hold myself back from muttering it when you when you say Nene. It's like, oh fuck, no! <laughs> like, and I'm pl- I'm planning on watching um, Seedling either today or tomorrow, and that's probably going to happen every time I say Nene on commentary. That's going to be a time. <laughs> Let's delve straight into these matches then. So we opened with the Future of Stardom Championship match with the champion Sai Reader defeating Yunagi Sayaka at 12 minutes and 4 seconds with the newly christened Diamond Dust. Um, Sairi's in new gear tonight, Chris, which is a step yeah. up. Sairi's looking like Reptar, which is... Absolutely. A, a Absolutely. Well, didn't, the... she also, didn't she also have Reptar on her tights? She had a dinosaur-looking thing on her tights. I think it was a gorilla, mate. Oh, well, it looked like a dinosaur. It looked like Reptar. Maybe, like, honestly, Sairi's Reptar changed my mind. She wants to eat. No, but Reptile didn't say that, did it? No. Who, who said that? Who's, I'm trying to remember Rug. I've, I've not watched Rugrats since I was a child. Um, who, who said that? Who said who, who, I want to eat in Rugrats? Go on, Chris, what is Chris that? just listen to what you're doing, mate. <laughs> just, just come out of your body for a second and realise that you are in the midst of a Stardom podcast. And you've hijacked it in order to make very, very poor Rugrats references that you can't remember anyway. I mean, like, how much Rugrats do you remember? I remember there was a ginger one called <laughs> Shucky. Shucky. Uh, the the bald... We, the main character, was it Tommy? Tommy. Yeah. He looked older than an actual bit. His, he had an old face. He had like an old man face. Have you ever seen Rugrats all grown up? Angelica! I remember Angelica. 
Have you ever seen um, Rugrats or Grown Up? It's like them as teenagers. It's weird. No, of course I fucking haven't. How did we get here? <laughs> what? Honestly, why do you listen do you... to us? Uh, also, like, does it annoy you about how naturally I lead you down the Rugrats rabbit hole? Some people would argue it's the chemistry we have, and others would argue it's just we just talk bollocks. We really do. But, yeah, to be fair, I feel like I lead you down some dark, dark paths sometimes. Don't say it like that. Fucking hell. <laughs> Jesus. No, nah, we are no gas for bad influence, to be honest. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, this match was fine. Um, most of my, I'm not going to lie, most of my notes are reptile-related, so I was kind of covering up for myself. Um, Ida, um, Ida, Ida has great fire. Like, she has really good babyface fire, only that doesn't work when she's the veteran in the match, which she was here. Like, this was a fairly decisive championship defense, which is fine, but also Ida hasn't quite learned how to do that yet. She's great best in either six-mans or um, singles matches against people who are above her station. She hasn't learned to work downwards yet, and she will. That's the whole point of giving her the future title to learn how to actually carry herself like a champion, but she kind of needs to work on that because Babyface Fire doesn't really work when you're doing it for literally the whole match when you're on top. I've actually said, you've pretty much said my notes verbatim, I've just said that this in one way is the biggest test that Sayurida has had because she's had good to great matches with people above her station like Momo and Mayu, but how is she going to cope in a match where she is ultimately leading the match? Um... And I thought she, I thought she did okay. I thought it was a good match. I think it was very enjoyable. Um, I thought Yunagi played the underdog babyface very well. I do agree that it was an interesting dynamic with both being babyfaces. I thought that it was a really good story going in about Sayurida basically saying that she just saw Yunagi as a stepping stone to Tam, um, and then afterwards she said basically she got a little bit of respect for Yunagi. So even in defeat. Here, Yunagi still comes across as quite strong. She's winning people over. I, I, it was never, it never crossed my mind that Yunagi was going to win this, and it didn't hurt my grade of the match. It didn't certainly didn't hurt my enjoyment of the match. I thought she gave a very good account of herself as she did against Utami. Um, I don't think it's quite as good as a Utami match, but it's a solid enough Future of Stardom Championship match. Solid Hoss match. I gave it two and three quarters. I basically agree. I gave it two and a half. Um, it was fine. It's a fine enough opening match for the Future of Stardom title. Like This is about what you should expect from it. It's basically a learning title at this point, I think. So I'm fine with it. Two and a half for for me, and if Ida can just start harnessing Reptar, she'll start going up the card pretty soon. Match two then saw Natsupoi defeat Konami at 8 minutes and 3 seconds via disqualification. Now, do you remember earlier in the year when Saki, <clears throat> uh, no, when um, Saki, no, when Konami talked about the different kinds of a weather tie? I do well, remember, she... I knew you were going to bring this up. Like, okay. Apparently, no. To be fair, it did look like she genuinely tried to cheat and then got caught. Like, it's not like Tora seems to be on purpose. Like, she genuinely attempted to cheat and didn't do it very well. I think as well, 
you've got to think that this is a prelude match to the Goddesses of Stardom tag title match, which is going to take place again mm -hmm. on the 30th at Corrigan. And you can sort of write the narrative, though, even though she loses by DQ in what is effectively a throwaway singles match second on the card with no stakes, the injury can affect the results on the 30th. That That is what I took from it. Apart from the DQ itself, I actually really, really enjoyed this match. It was leading towards Konami's best singles match since... Well, I really enjoyed the Julia match. I know it was pretty divisive, but <laughs> let's say the five-star, where we can all agree that she was fantastic. Um, yeah, this is, this is really fun. Um, again, Natsupoi actually being positioned as an equal to people on the roster now is nice. The staff, I, I really like the staff, and I don't know why. I think I just like it when things spin. <laughs> I, I can't explain it, but I've always liked it when things spin. Such a simple So, like, okay, if you can't find the joys in the small things, what can you find the joys in? Um, but yeah, this was fun. I, I, I'm just kind of annoyed. Because this was so fluid as well. Like, nothing felt out of nowhere. It felt like what we were doing was the natural progression of what we were doing before, which is weirdly hard to pull off sometimes. I mean, New Japan can't fucking manage it. Um, so, it kind of just got mad by the DQ finish. I look forward to seeing these two probably rematching either the Five Star or the Cinderella, because I think then that would be great. It's the most savage I've seen Konami in a long time. And yeah. it's the best Konami because she just, she was laser-focused. She targets that right arm of Natsupoi relentlessly. And she seems mm -hmm. to get this savage pleasure from it. And it's something that's been lacking from her character. She's done it, but she hasn't really had any conviction about it. And she really, really went for Natsupoi here. And Natsupoi sold it so well. Even after doing a big move, she's falling into the ropes. She's got her arm held. She's shaking her arm. So that you're constantly reminded that, right, she's doing this, but her arm hurts and again like you Chris the only criticism that I can level of this match is that we only got eight minutes and three seconds of it but it's a prelude again to a match later on that being said the fluidity and the chemistry that both women had with each other I gave it three and a quarter and yes that might be high with a match with a DQ finish but I think and again I don't often think this about Oida Tai DQs, but I thought it plays into the story that they're trying to tell heading into the tag title match. I think it's the way that they tried to use the chair as well was more unique than just hitting her with it. She continued to target the arm with it, which worked. So overall, if we get this Konami in the tag match, if we get this Konami going forward, I'm more than happy. Yeah. Basically, we're saying. Um, I just, I, I'm as someone who really wanted this match. Now I'm kind of sad. This is how it ended, though. But that's kind of a point of this match. It's not meant to be the last time these two meet. So, yeah, it it was fun for the meantime. I'd get. I I went as far, I went as high as three for this one. We're not a million miles apart so far, which is good because I imagine we're going to be miles apart in the main event. So. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be burned. I'm gonna be literally burned. I don't mean like in a Twitter sense. I'm gonna be like put on the stake and burned. Only if you deserve it. I mean, like Garth would probably be there. Like Garth would be the one with the torch, mate. 
yeah, he, he's like, I don't even know why we're here, but I've been, I've been waiting for years. <laughs> Match three then, high-speed championship on the line. Azumi, the champion, defeated Kaori Yoniyama at 5 minutes and 48 seconds with the grounded octopus stretch. The big thing out of this, of course, that this is death, Yamasan, Gokiken deaths, in inverted commas, real face. Azumi said she wanted to take on Goki can death's real face. You, I think you have it. But what I think's happened here is is Goku and Deaths went to Mexico to help El Generico with the orphans. Oh, I see. And the, and they may look similar. They they may have also similar movesets and the same theme. But you'd be mistaken. Goku and Death has somehow defied all COVID rules in existence. And has went to Mexico to help El Generico with the orphans, along with Johnny Mundo and Kevin Steen. Well, as you can imagine, it's quite easy to bypass security when you're dressed like a clown. You know, really inconspicuous, like. Yeah, she's part of that Joker cult you see at the end of that movie. <laughs> um, the Corica and are unusually hot for this veteran, and <laughs> skeptical as I was that the person behind Goki and Death could still go. I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, people had said that she could go, and I was like, nah, she just does the death things, but I really was pleasantly yeah. surprised. The pair had good chemistry, as you would hope for someone who apparently taught Azumi in her early career at Young Fighter. Um, I got the impression that initially Azumi was taking it easy on Yuniyama, but after being hit with a knee from the apron, missile drop kick to the back of the head, you got the impression she then turned it up a notch. Um, and then pulling her out of the pin for an arm breaker, submitting her with a grounded octopus stretch. You just got the impression that, right, okay, I've taken it easy on you now. I'm gonna end you now. It was a case of, <laughs> I, it was a case of when the match was going to end in Azumi's favor, and not if. Um, mm -hmm. There's only so much you can fit in five minutes, to be perfectly honest. And despite how impressed I was with. Kaori Yoniyama and the chemistry that she had with Azumi. I mean, Azumi's got chemistry with fucking everyone. So this was a good match, but it has a ceiling because it was only five minutes. I did think it was really funny that Yoniyama got possessed by the spirit of Death Yamasan right at the end and stamped on Azumi's foot, which I thought was really funny. Um, and then Natsupoi comes out when Azumi lays out an open challenge uh, for Budokan on the 3rd of March, um, which is absolutely the right decision. I think Natsupoi versus Azumi, if you give them time, if you give them the amount of time that you gave to Azumi versus Starlight Kid, and to a lesser extent, um, Azumi and Meihoshizuki from Osaka Dream, they're going to put on a phenomenal match. They're going to put on a phenomenal match. And... No, I was going to say I think Natsupoi's going to take the belt, but I don't think she is. I think Starlight's going to take the belt off um, Azumi. But I think it'll be an absolutely fantastic match. And again, if they open the show with that and they give it 11, 12 minutes like they did in um, Yokohama, I think it's going to be a really, really, really good match. Um, Yeah, this match was... It felt a lot more... It felt more fleshed out than the five-minute runtime would lead you to believe it would be. Like, they still threw in a lot here. There was still an arc 
in this match, they still find time to slow down and not completely destroy the pacing, which is to be absolutely commended. Um, yeah, I was kind of with you, where I was like, okay, I get that um, Yoniyama used to be really good from what we're told, but for and she might have been just before. I think actually, I think I remember rightly, she was just before the death gimmick when I got onto Stardom. If I if I remember rightly, I might be thinking of someone else, and she was mostly working like rookies. And now that, but like she's been deaf since, well, tw- tw- last year, and that's basically all I've known her as. So seeing her actually putting together a match was surprising. Um, it, I do. Well, one thing I wasn't thrilled with was Azumi using the um, Hurricane Rana through the ropes. Again, like just on a what is essentially a filler defense. Are you like, saying I that it should be more of an impact thing that end like yeah, in okay. in a in one with more of a build? Mm-hmm. Like for example, look at um. Okay, the German suplex spot the Kota Ibushi does. I don't fucking pop for that anymore because he does it all the fucking time and it's completely lo- unless someone's flipping out of it. It's lost all impact because we've seen him do it a million times. Mm. Like think also like for a non like Japanese wrestling example, think the swing when Cesaro did that all the time. Like that became something not like obviously this isn't on the same level, but if Kenta Kibashi did the burning hammer all the time, that move wouldn't be half as revered as it is. That's why so, you come to this I, podcast, ladies and gentlemen, for comparisons between Azumi and Kenta Kabashi. You don't get them anywhere I, I, else. I have um, had them fight before in Fire Pro. <laughs> and Azumi lost in five minutes to a burning hammer. Um, but yeah, but do you see what I mean, though? Like, since that isn't like her finish, I think it should be something that's used sparingly. I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you because it is. The first time I saw her break it out, I was like, fucking holy shit. That looked savage. And then she pulled it out against Mei Hoshizuki, because I think she pulled it out before then. And then she pulled it out against Mei Hoshizuki, and then she's pulled it out again here. I don't just want it to be another part. It's a title match. Yeah, it's a title match, yeah. so let's do it. Exactly. Like, for example, like, um,. Because there's lots of examples, like Okada's risk control moment. Has that meant a fucking thing since Wrestle Kingdom 10 with how often he did it? No, I, 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 I completely get what you're saying. I completely get what you're saying. Are you happy about the Natsupoi challenge for Budokan? Do you think that's a good direction to go in? <laughs> We've been saying every podcast since Natsupoi's debut that we won't be using the match. It was literally the first thing we said. The Yokohama yeah. Cinderella debut, we said exactly that same thing. I Yeah, I, I want it and I want it bad. <laughs> just quoting teenage kicks man. Jesus um, I gave it two and three quarter stars Chris oh I went I we have differed here I went three and a half I thought it was really good for the time allotted okay well um, I'll, I'll, I'll rise I'll go three and a quarter <laughs> oh you'll rise will you fuck's sake <laughs> Jesus right let's move on to match four now this was a match that I really 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 enjoyed this was tam nakano defeating starlight kid at 10 minutes and 53 seconds with a tiger suplex just quickly chris 
Was the unspoken stipulation of this match that you have to win with a Tiger Suplex? Um, no, but they did mention it in the post in the pre-match promo. <laughs> but they they wanted to prove that they had the best Tiger suit because, like, Tam, that's her um, secondary finisher anyway. Yeah. So and Starlight like, beat Tamato Saka Dream with the yeah, Tiger Suplex. And, and Starlight apparently just wants to be Tiger Mask. <laughs> she mentioned that apparently she's like, like Tiger Mask is like, it, you know, yeah, there's a reason it's called the Tiger Suplex. <laughs> I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that, to be fair, there if Starlight been, transitioned. Has, I'm pretty sure there has been a girl Tiger Mask before. That would Hold be on. that would be quite cool. That would be really um, cool. Tell Tiger. Girl Tiger names. Why is that there? What? Sorry, I put in girl tiger. Couldn't put in girl tiger. The second one is girl tiger from Ice Age. Um, so I guess in one of the Ice Age movies, there's a girl tiger. Um, oh, I put in girl tiger mask, and I just got a bunch of furry stuff. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm just going to close that tab and <laughs> pretend I never mentioned it. Um, but, <sighs> but yeah, like on especially with like the Bushy Road connection, it maybe wouldn't be the worst thing. But also, I think that would help prevent Starlight not have her identity, but also, if you're going to have the one, like, for the sake of um, maybe New Japan fans, they want to bring in, because there have been some efforts to make Stardom more New Japan-y, most notably Match Lang, for fucking get onto that. Um, so, that would make sense. I, I wouldn't hate it either, although, like, because if you're going to have only one roster member with a mask, why not? Because it, cause it's basically a tiger mask mask anyway, isn't it? Yeah, more or less. More or less. Um, but yeah, this match um, itself, I really enjoyed. We, I show, but, as shown as been like the five-star match, which I believe we gave um, eight. They, these two do have really good chemistry. Um, Tam works really well with Starlight because Starlight's, of course, like zipping around all over the place and Tam can just matrix around it. It's great. And then, one thing I can commend Starlight for, and it's hard to do because loads of people struggle with this, is setting up um, apron moves very naturally. Are you talking about the apron but, DDT? Yeah, that's so easy to oh, make convoluted. It looked like, fantastic. Yeah, and it wasn't convoluted. Like you would, um, People do do that all the time, do like the shoulder tackle thing all the time. Like, even like her um, Tiger Fink kick, or 619, if um, I don't know why preference. Anyway, um, when she does that, that doesn't feel like Rey Mysterio has been doing that move for almost twenty years now, and he is not. He still can't always do it naturally. It still sometimes feels well. Still, most of the time feels forced. Whereas when Starlight does it, it doesn't feel all that forced, which is impressive because, again, she's working with a lot less experience than Rey Mysterio. I get the impression that Starlight is the mini boss that Tam has to overcome before the Mayu match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... I think um, whenever someone faces Ishii before going on to Okada, or but basically that, I can't think of a better example. Really. Um, they've got tremendous chemistry, and from having been in a unit for so long together, that opening sequence where they reverse each other's moves it's such an easy sequence but it looks so smooth and everything in this match looked smooth as chris mentioned even 
what can be perceived as convoluted, getting someone into position for an apron DDT through the ropes. It just felt so clean, so smooth, and most importantly, so natural. You got Starlight Kid sort of ramping up her aggression, which, again, we've commended for on previous podcasts. Um, Tam, we get the exact mirror of the finish of uh, at Osaka, but Tam kicks out and then manages to basically blitz Starlight Kid with some running knees and then hit her with the Tiger Suplex. I really, really enjoyed this match. Considering it went 10 minutes and 53 seconds, it went by like that in in the best way possible. Mm. Um, I gave it four stars. I thought thus far it was easily the match of the night. And yeah, thoroughly en- enjoyed it. A really good step in the direction of the finish to of stars and Cosmic Angels storyline. Yeah, overall, really, really good match. Yeah, um, booking wise, it all made sense. And as a match, Tam is just the master of taking ten minutes and fl- putting in the most in there without making it feel like a stupid PWG spot fest. Agreed. Agreed. Which is hard to, which is hard to do. You look at the Champions Carnival where so many people were given around this t- amount of time, and none of them could use it properly because that's not. They don't seem to know how to pace a ten-minute match. Whereas Tam. You look at like her best match with Julia went around twelve. Um, her match with Kagetsu, which was in my top twenty-five, went uh, went eleven, and her match with May, which was fucking incredible, um, went I think about went less than ten. So she's the master at making sprints feel like feel fleshed out. Yeah, so, layered with story. Ne- yeah, with, and then you get you give her a which is like on the inverse though you give her 28 minutes like you did with julia and that match was a bit of a slog at at points so i think you know how to use tam in that respect less is um less is more with tam you you restrict her minutes she's like insert football who's a football player where you should restrict their minutes on the pitch let's just pick any of the newcastle team okay um don't don't google a newcastle player (laughs) (laughs) i know what you're doing don't google one you're better than that. No, I'm not. No, I know. You know. <laughs> I know. What did you give it, Chris? Um, this match, I'll give it four as well. It's my spoilers. It's my side of match of the year thus far. Um, wow. By, uh, I did really, really enjoy it. I, I definitely see it being topped, but in regards to both this show and what we've covered so far, yeah, this is side of match of the year so far for me. It was really fun. Match five then saw a three-way elimination tag team match with the Queen's Quest team of Saya Kamatani and Momo Watanabe uh, finally eliminating, I've, I said three-way, four-way is what I meant, Donna Del Mondo team of Himika and Suri uh, with Awidatai team of B and Saki and the Stars team of Mayo and Ruaka at 15 minutes and four seconds. <laughs> Mayo. The, I know, I, I was desperate to try and get that out and hoped that nobody had noticed that I called a mayo. Um, yeah, with the star crusher. Um, so, me calling a mayo um, sort of plays into how mayo approached this match because she struggled with everything, bless her, in this match, didn't she? She struggled throwing her wristband, not once, not twice, four separate times she tried oh, to throw that um, that wristband to the point where Himika just burst out laughing, completely ruining any kayfabe that they had. That there was any sort of like 
tension or sort of like just anything in the match. Momo pissed herself. It was just it was a bad day to be Mayu. And then she stood on the apron whilst everyone was on the outside because everyone else had been taken out and she just sort of stood there and was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then she hid behind the turnbuckle, which made the crowd laugh. It was it was all... It was, it was all just it was a... It a rich tapestry. It was. It was. She did the suicide dive, like I mentioned before, but otherwise, it was just a very... a very strange match. The rules were as follows. Basically, it was similar to a Cinderella match. So the eliminations occur via pinfall submission, count out, DQ, and over the top rope to the floor. And that was that was something that I must commend this match on. It, it got it was a little bit confusing, but it was still very fun. The one thing that I did commend them on was the over the top rope spot, rather than just hoiking someone over the top rope, it felt very natural. And Mayu attempting to go for the two, um, the double arm lucha take takedown, basically. She goes to the top rope and Saki just literally pushes her off. I thought that was really, really good. I thought it was really, really smooth. Um, this was effectively a filler match, but it was a fun filler match. Mm-hmm. Well, to put forward how much of a filler match it was, when I initially watched the show, I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> like um so i ran through the show in a weird order because of how sad and releases things so i saw um the main event first and then the julia nats um natsuko Tora match and then um i went backwards today and watched the rest of it apart from um so i finished that up around 12 in the afternoon right so i then like go away have a lunch have a walk cry and then i come back it's like come back opening like i'm looking over the results of everything to make notes coming into this mostly about reptile and then i'm like oh i've missed a match fuck <laughs> so i have to go back and watch it one thing we have skirted over is um today is i i, I skipped through the promos on everything i was watching um that wasn't on this show so i hadn't realized the saga of shiri calling, calling momo snoopy which is fantastic. And then just her way of baiting her was post-match just holding a Snoopy key ring at her. And it's yeah. like, that's the most year five bullshit I've ever seen. To be fair, Snoopy's not even the best member of Peanuts. Nah, he's not, to be fair. Yeah, he's he's kind of... It's like, it's like how Mickey Mouse is the worst of the main Disney crew. I'd oh, rather no. hang out with Donald, although he's a bit unstable but you know he seems fun i'm i'm sure he has like some ketamine in his <laughs> in his bill <laughs> donald duck on ketamine <laughs> amazing yeah, um, but, well, but thing is when you think about it it's like why is goofy friends but pluto pet I've just blown your mind, good one. Anyway, this match. Um, but this is kind of just an everyone in the pool. We have nothing else for you to do in this card kind of thing. Which. Yeah. That, and they played it off like that. It wasn't like TNA Exhibition where they tried to do mad flips. They just. Although, Saki did get really fucking creative. I 
really, Saki's my favorite, my second favorite part of this match because she did a double roll up at some point and made it not look stupid. It was incredible. It was really like, good, yeah. Like it was like going for a go thing or something, and she just pushed him down and then pushed him over. It was great. Um, and then B doing a handshake thing at the start. Like we used to talk about Shiri being so expressive to the point of sometimes being annoying, but oh my god, B is so expressive to the point where she's always fucking annoying. <laughs> like I I don't hate B, right? I like B. Um, I defended B throughout most of her title reign, but since this kingdom shit started. She's become a bit insufferable. Empire Kingdom's a completely different thing. Right, uh, right. Sorry, I, I, I'm not watching much. YouTube. Yeah, since this Empire shit happened, um, Kingdom's from Matt Taven stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. She was still she's still fine here, but will be prob- along with May did the least in this match. Uh, my favorite part though was the stuff between Shuri and Momo because we just went back to kicking each other. It seemed to be basically a way of having everyone in the ring, like you mentioned before, everyone we haven't got, you know, big storylines for, get everyone in the ring and then wheel it down so that we can still have that moment between Momo and Suri. And the best moment of this entire match was where Suri went for a lariat, missed, and Momo hit it with the tequila sunrise. Boy, mm-hmm. it was all in one smooth, fluid motion. Yeah. It looked amazing. That's, that's the thing about Sarah and Matt. They're, like, they're so good in that even in throwaway matches like this, they put together nice little sequences just because of how well they work together. So, Yeah, absolutely. Just so we've got the eliminations noted, Stars were eliminated at 7 minutes and 33 seconds by Saki literally just pushing Mayu off the top. Um, Awida Tai were then eliminated at 9 minutes and 44 seconds after Suri locked in the Blue Dragon on Saki Kashima. And then, this surprised me, Chris, I'm not going to lie, um, that Sayaka Matani was the one to get the final pinfall over Himika with her version of the Fisherman uh, the fisherman Driver, which she calls Star Crusher. Um, after no-selling that Psycho Driver... <laughs> After no selling the psycho driver, yes, correct, um, because she is super sire. Um, I originally was quite shocked that it was um, sire who picked up the pinfall, but then you know, looking to later on in the night, it's it's not a great surprise. It looks a very very good move, and the fact that she's able to get someone like Himika into that move was mm-hmm. very very impressive. Um, Overall, this was this was good. You know, it furthered the storyline between Momo and Suri. It had some entertaining moments in it. It wasn't a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I gave it two and three quarters, Chris. Oh, I gave it three and a quarter. I severely enjoyed it. Severely, that makes it sound like it's terminal or something. I really enjoyed this match. Like, it, it, I just had a lot of fun. It was a very fun little match. And not not gonna lie, a lot of the fun was the stuff before the match for Mayu, not being able to throw her armband and for Snoopy. I I do hope that can just continues because now the moment she's being she's being called a loser by um B and now it's being called Snoopy by Shuri. She's having a bad time, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. By the way, we haven't mentioned it on this podcast yet. Um but I sent this to you um when I saw it happening. Have you seen um Shiri didn't make it onto <laughs> the, she didn't make it onto the poster for this show. So <laughs> she just, she superimposed herself onto the poster and it's incredible. 
It's amazing. It is absolutely fantastic. But she's just superimposed loads of different expressions as well. So it's different yeah. faces of Suri. Oh, it's fantastic. And, you know, like, so some, on some of them, she's like just put herself like on the top. But when she's done that, she's also like changed people's faces to like other ones of it. Like she changed Himika's face to another one of Himika's faces. It's like she very clearly was just like, I have time to kill and I have like a Photoshop app on my phone. So brilliant it's incredible underrated shit post i want to see like shiri kick posting as a facebook group might be end of the week semi main then match six the wonder of stardom championship match no rules no holds barred julia the champion defeated natsukatora at 18 minutes and 34 seconds with the glorious driver so chris this <laughs> this wasn't good in <laughs> in a con- in a conventional way, like like in a by, convention. Well, by conventional standards, Chris, my, this match my blew. Tastes aren't conventional. To be fair, that that's a pretty apt quote with the chains. But yeah. Um. So actually, Rob, I I I did your job for for you, and I went to the Discord today to sort of gather thoughts on the two main events. Uh huh. And the, most people seem to be very entertained by this match. Um, from what I've read, uh, they sort of agree with you. Where it's conventionally not very good, but um, I forget who put it. I put it. One of one of the members of our Discord said um, they were sports entertained by this match. It was Niagara Driver. Okay, so here's the thing. We uh, my normal, um, and I think also Rob's main criticism of Tora is that she goes too far too often. Whereas here, she didn't go far enough. Like I, you, you wanted me to live tweet this match for you, um, to you, which scared the shit out of me because it made me think that Tora won, and I don't think I'd be able to go into the Discord for a week just because of how much how smug Belkage would be. But, um, <laughs> so I was live tweeting it, and like I'm like they were had like these blocks that you have in like karate studios that you karate chop for reasons. And like they were, I think we were meant to be cinder block, but they were they were very very clearly made of plastic, like very clearly. Um, and then the table was made like if you notice when it broke, it looked like it was made of fucking cardboard. So yeah. it was weird, like because I was talking about when we were talking about this match, I expected them to go like further. I expected there to be like blood, barbed wire, um, chains. Well, there was chains, I guess. Um, but I don't know a knife. A samurai sword, a gun, something. <laughs> like I don't know this because for Tora, this almost felt run of the mill. Like, and I was thinking about when she did the hanging spot. It's like how impactful it would have been if she did just done the hanging spot t- once or twice, or even not at all before this. How impactful would that hanging spot be? Because like, there's been a few. Um, because I'm gonna bring up a different match as a example of how this kind of match can be done well because I don't think this match was done well and I wasn't incredibly entertained because they didn't go far enough for my taste. I wanted I want I wanted this match to be more like crazy to time banana pants, if that makes sense. Um I, I don't like think back to Broadway versus Cody. Now I'm not massive on that match as many people are. But hanging spot in an AEW context was brutal because you never saw that kind of thing in AEW. Whereas when that hanging spot happens in Stardom, I don't care. I don't fucking care anymore. Like, there's not like all the 
all this Natsuko Tori shit has seemingly been leading up to this, and it's led up to absolutely fucking nothing. Like this kind of match can be done well. I one night when like people, um, a bunch of the Discord, um, Discord people um, in our server were online all at once. Um, Belkage, I think, recommended me and uh, recommended an Oz Academy match, saying he saw it as perfect. And Belkage has unconventional taste. I mean, he likes the Vegeta match with Gojizaki, but I try not to hold that against him. Um, but I watched this match, and it was a mugging, basically. I forget who it was between. I forget the names. But the girl was absolutely mugged. Right? There was blood staining the ring. She was cut open and it was like a corrupt referee kind of thing so she kept being um ganged up on and like aspects of us were here but we didn't go far enough because it never felt like julia was in any trouble the stipulation never got away from julia and that's how this match kind of should have worked with the heel face dynamic it should be tora 99% on the way back and not spending half a match dicking about with plastic cinder blocks like, the most brutal part of this match was near the start where we went through the chairs. And I'm sorry, that should be in, in classic and, like, almost PWG style or even, like, Ishii match style. They started with the biggest spots first. And, like, I guess Tora being hanged, as weird as this sounds, and I really hope my brother's not outside because he will ask me about, uh, about this phrase, but Tora being hanged, I guess, was very cathartic in a way. But at the same time, I, I, f- I feel nothing about this. I didn't. I don't even actively dislike it, despite how much I've talked about it. I just feel nothing about this match. I was in a constant state of numb throughout this match. I just didn't care. It was packaged as a no rules brawl, which we've yeah. seen Julia excelling, you know, against the likes of Hannah and Tam. And you're right, we should have had blood. We should have... Obviously, I don't condone people bleeding, but you, you know what I mean. You want that brutality. Light tubes. Maybe not light tubes, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you want you want Tora to brutalise. That That's what she wants. She got herself disqualified from so many matches in the five-star for being too brutal. And then you're absolutely right. Here, we transitioned very much from a brutal brawl into what was coming dangerously close to farcical comedy. You know, when the biggest spot is the chain hanging spot that we've seen a billion times before. And then let's not forget that Julia finished this match with one Julia drop with one glorious driver. Sorry. Mm -hmm. One. Now, I don't. Both women, I think, should be. It wasn't even for, onto anything, was it? It was just. It was onto just a, the yeah, that. It was just yeah. a glorious driver. Now, I think both women should be commended for the for the bumps they've taken. Absolutely, one hundred percent. I loved Julia going through the chairs. I thought that was really funny. I also thought it was really funny that Konami couldn't stack them all properly. Um, but and yes, absolutely, Julia hanging um, Tora with the chain, cathartic brilliant and then to have julia say right at the end i don't think she'd use the chain anymore i said to you i will retrospectively give this match five stars if that's the case if she doesn't use that fucking chain again but i agree with you in the fact that julia it never felt like julia was losing this belt ever it never felt like julia was in any sort of real strife 
Like, did Tora really do anything in this match that we haven't seen her do before? I haven't seen that leg drop in a while. Okay, so we've... A, re- we, a wrestling a move is for one thing we haven't see, seen. We before, had to create a no like... rule. We had to create a no a no rules brawl so that Tora could break our leg drop. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I, no, I, I we're completely in agreement here. It like I wanted like I wanted this match to be good with all my heart. Right, I've been saying I'm cautiously optimistic ever since this match was announced. That all optim all earned optimist all earned possible optimism Tora has is gone now. Like, at least for this iteration of Tora, I get, and this gets pointed out to us a lot, and we know that part of it is how Tora is booked and not Tora as a wrestler. We've mentioned how Tora has flashes of brilliance, but there's none of that here. I mentioned in my notes, and well, by the way, my notes was me live tweeting it to Rob because he asked me to. Um, I, I mentioned that all the all the non bullshit points of this match, so like all the actual wrestling bits where they're running the ropes or whatever, they didn't work well together here. They kept putting feet wrong. They kept being in the wrong place, like only slightly, but enough to come off as awkward. So, like, yeah, I agree, and it's a shame because I've I've come around on Julia more recently, and I still want Tora to be good, but she's just not right now. And a present, a presence like to like a bullish, like basically an eighty ski movie bully, is what Tora is going for, only with more hanging. So kind of like holes. You've, I, but I, I won't lead you down another rabbit hole. Onions. Um, yeah, I just don't. I, I'm disappointed. I'm. Re- I was actually looking forward to this match because I was looking forward to seeing what Tora was like when she was let off the leash. But like, it feels like yeah. she was put on a more restrictive leash, which is weird. If you want to build again, Tora I've... as the leader of this heel faction, surely mm-hmm. here is the chance to build her. As that brute, as that person who will stop at nothing to get the win, who will literally brutalise the champion, but I just I didn't feel it. I'm not saying I can book better, but here's what I do. I would have um, in the pre-match promos, you know, when we're saying it, when we're doing it backstage, have Julia standing there with DDM and have Oedetai come and take out the rest of DDM. And then the entrances have to happen. And then Julia comes out um, with... Then Julia comes out alone, but Tora is with the rest of Oedetai, and Oedetai basically spend the match mugging Julia. Like, and there's maybe a lot of the same spots, but because they're being mugged, it kind of adds more to Julia. Julia feels like she's more in trouble, and then maybe have Tora win it, and then that would... could create some cool dynamics going forward into Budokan, right? Mm. That'll create somewhat of a hot feud and you can, I don't know, have a steel cage match. I'd, that that would be something different. I'd, people would probably scoff at the thought of that, but like, I don't know. I think it's better than what we fucking got. I think it's better, because what we have now is um, to- Tora being, wanting the chance to be more violent in a title match for months. Basically doing this to 
like in a kayfabe sense to goad for champion into giving her a shot or whatever. And now it's for fucking nothing because she did the stuff she does in every match and lost. Ultimately, what we're left with is an indictment of why stardom don't do gimmick matches. Yeah, well, I think gimmick match. It's not. A, I don't think it's for gimmick matches. For, but yeah, if you're not gonna go far with it, don't do it. Like I'm trying to think of another wrestling example. For example, All Japan recently did a TLC match, and it wasn't very good. I don't think they went far enough with stipulation, and I think that's what's going here. Like they want that on the bill. They want like the no rules match on the bill because it looks good on a poster. It looks good for marketing, but they don't want to actually have a proper no rules match, do they? Because like they're being thrown into the chair spot, but. Uh, <sighs> I it's basically no different from like in terms of a visual from being thrown into like a barricade or like we have seen people be thrown into the chairs in Stardom before. Like it felt like we if there wasn't a pandemic going on and we didn't have to like have the fans be away from the ring, they would just throw Julia into the crowd. It felt like it was just fair because that's a beat they wanted to hit on and they couldn't. So we thought of the laziest solution around this around it. Two final points on this match. The first, and this was a little bit disappointing as well, there were bits, the ta- the entire table spot, where Tora is fought off the top rope by Natsupoi and members of DDM. That is directly ripped off from the match that Awidatai and Tokyo Cyber Squad had from Yokohama Cinderella. So that wasn't even an original spot. And I think the biggest thing that's come out of this is if you're going to do a no-rules match, you need to ascertain whether you want it to be more comedic or you want it to be serious. And I think this match, you know, I spoke about this before. If your packaging is a comedy match, go balls to the wall with it, okay? Make it fun. Whereas this was sort of masquerading as a brutish brawl and came across as campy comedy. And that's where I start is, to even, not enjoy it. I don't think they did the campy comedy. Like, if they were going to do campy comedy, they had to go completely on the... Like, in terms of the campy comedy spots, it felt a lot like the King of Pro Wrestling stuff in New Japan, where that's meant to be played for laugh, but I'm not laughing. Exactly. Like, it feels like someone... Like, you know, the wedding in Shrek, where someone's holding signs telling you what emotions you should be conveying it feels like there should be a little dude on the side i don't know maybe rossi he has dick all else to do um holding signs telling us what emotion to feel and like i, I don't know it's just i'm not i don't think it's, i don't even hate the match like i i it's not like some matches i watch this like, oh shit that's going into the fucking minus right but this isn't one of them this is it's not passable but it's not laughably bad like this is getting like say one and a half which is like a three in their old system that's what it's getting and it's just bad it's just plain bad it's not even like interestingly bad it's just they didn't they put it's almost like they had months to put this together and like as a school project and then did it the night before this is like the, the equivalent of an essay thrown together the night before didn't even do their referencing but lazy just yeah and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I gave it a star and three quarters, so we're we're basically the on the same page. Um I was just disappointed. And 
where does Tora go from here? I mean, she was the one who forwarded this stipulation. She was the one who fought for this no-rules match. She was the one who delivered on night one of the New Year Stars tour. She was the one that delivered a chair shot to the head of Julia. And I'm sorry, that's that's pretty much more brutal than anything I saw in this match. <laughs> oh, well, could be worse. I could have had to watch an Osprey match, so... Uh, anyway, let's move on to the main event because this, I imagine, is where we're going to differ massively. Match 7, main event, World of Stardom Championship match with Utami Hayashita defeating Micah at 24 minutes and 12 seconds with the BT bomb. Um, Chris, I'll let you go. Oh, well, no, I'm going to go first because... <laughs> Because fuck you, that's why. Um, because I need this win. Because No, no, no. No, I just... For me, going into this match, and perhaps I shouldn't have done, um, but I had a ceiling with this match. And Micah, who has been packaged tremendously, has been booked tremendously, and has Future Star written all over her, she's still a rookie effectively you know she's just shed the future of stardom championship and with that i thought right well this match is gonna have a ceiling and for me this match played into both women's wheelhouses and didn't profess to be anything that it wasn't it was a hoss match that grew and grew and grew to a crescendo which is what i wanted um, you'd got Micah, who she was laser focused. She was vindictive. It's a vindictive side we haven't seen before. Slapping the roses out of Utami's hand, starting by targeting the arm and not breaking the count when Moriyama tells her to. Um, Utami responds with um, sort of working the back, um, and Micah sells the back really, really well. She still does the judo throws. She still does the monkey flips, but you feel. It's more because she's a rookie and hasn't been in this position before, hasn't got other offense. She needs to do this and she collapses into the ring ropes after she's done it. You know, it's more muscle memory. She hasn't developed a championship winning arsenal as of yet because she is still a rookie. And then the action got stiffer and stiffer. You know, you saw the huge welts on Utami's face. And then they just go for the jugger, start dropping each other on their fucking heads. Um, I mean, Micah's STO, the disgusting-looking release German suplex from Utami. Um, Basically then, the end is Micah not being able to get any of her signature offense in because of her back. She eventually manages to hoist Utami up for the Sasanka and for the Enkara Toshi, but she still can't put her away. She still can't put that extra stamp on it because of the damage Utami's done to her back. And, with a little side note, best close two count I've ever seen. Tremendous, tremendous work. Um, Utami sells like an absolute diamond for her, making that threat look very real. Not one person who watches stardom thinks Micah's going to come out as the champion. Not one person. And still... 
you tarmy so massively for, and still you find yourself invested into the match. And eventually you just realise that Micah hasn't got enough. She hasn't got enough to put Utami away. She's thrown things at her, but she just cannot put her away. And Utami is too powerful. And eventually Utami's power comes to the fore. Submit hits a torture rack to start off with to really, really weaken that back. And then hits her with the BT bomb to win. I just thought it was a really excellent Hoss match. Not only does it prove that Micah can compete on this level, but it differs completely from the Mayu matches we've been used to. There wasn't one big spot. I can't go back to this match and give you, you know, a pile driver on the apron or, you know, a reverse Rana or whatever. You know, I can't give you that one big spot. And it differs even to the Momo match back in December in its pacing. But because it just escalates, because it is that Hoss match that we haven't really seen yet, or for a while anyway, I just felt really, really invested in this match. Did it go a touch too long? Yes, it did. I think if you'd have capped this at 20 minutes, maybe even 21 minutes, cut out a little bit in the middle, then we would be talking of a match of the year contender. As it stands, it's just short of match of the year. Basically, I class anything as four and a half stars and above as a match of the year contender. I think this is four and a quarter. I think it just falls short. But it's a massive statement of intent, including what happens afterwards, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's a huge statement of intent that Stardom are not scared of looking to the future. And it's an exciting time. Because Micah, I don't care who you are, Micah surpassed every expectation in this main event match and looked fucking great. Your turn. Okay, so um, I think one of the main differences between me and you is I'm a bit stingy with higher ratings. As you know, and it's weird because I... I have my match of the year to try going on Twitter and I class anything three and three quarter or higher to go on there. Um, and, okay, so all the positives you gave about this match are true. These, these are all just things that are good about this match. I think you guessed when you mentioned the length of my main problem here. I think 25 minutes was a bad length for this match. I don't think... I think the story here was good for because the way I'm seeing this and like tell me if I'm talking bollocks you normally do um is this is a natural slightly more violent progression from their Cinderella match in in <clears throat> that um but but like Mike is pl- displayed a bit lower but like you know how he said there that that match felt like a good 15 minute match but um, confined into a 10-minute time limit. Here, I kind of feel the opposite, where I think this is a really, really... This would have been like a four, maybe four and a quarter star, 15-minute match stretched out to 25. I do agree it was stretched. I do agree with that. Yeah, and like, I I know, I think... It might be because of um, my now-strained relationship with New Japan and even like NXT. Uh, part of these problems where like 
a way too long length does bother me because you said about about a few minutes off this i'd shave 10 i'd shave 10 and just up the violence i'm like i know we shouldn't critique matches for what they are for what we, um but what we are but like i'm just saying that's how i'd play the dynamic we're playing off here because it's a good dynamic like I did still really like this match. I think especially for Micah's skill level well not skill level because she's incredibly skilled, but for her experience level is a better way to put it. This is, like you said, far beyond what we should expect from someone who is <laughs> hang on, I'm gonna double check how long she's been going. She's been going it still says one year on um cage match. That's insane. I don't think I, I think she's been going longer than that. She's she was she's been a year in stardom. Career. Um all right, so she's just started in twenty nineteen. Eighteen months. Um oh yeah, she started in um May of okay, she's so she's closing on yeah, she about eighteen months in ring experience. That's still nuts. Like I I can't imagine being at something for a year and being that good at it already. Like you look at, you can see like young lions coming back in New Japan right now. Like um, Oka is struggling to find his feet a bit, bit, and he's been wrestling for double that. And you can see it on like indie scenes that up in Britain, um, or even in America, where someone's been going for eighteen months, and sometimes they wouldn't even be put in the ring at that point. So it's incredibly impressive that she had such a good match here. They shouldn't have made her go twenty-four minutes. Like I understand, I might I'm focusing on one thing, but it's a damning thing in the context of this match because um, twenty-five minutes is what like the top top main matches would go. Like that's the high end of what main matches would go. And she didn't ever have to face someone like she has more experience than Itami, and she never had to face someone um, as I'm not don't want to say inexperienced, but like as fresh as Micah. So you can just sort of tell they weren't entirely, like at least I sort of pulled off of it, they weren't entirely comfortable going the length they did. Because part, part of this match, I want to say the first third was them retreading water from their Cinderella match. And then the violence was up. I think if you trimmed that bit and then got to the violent bit quicker, I think we'd have a like I, I, I'd, I'd definitely be on the same level with you at that point. See the la- the the length of the match to me, it wasn't to the detriment of the overall match. I do agree. I think ten minutes is extreme. I think ten minutes is excessive. I think if you cut five minutes out of that, then we look at a match of the year contender. But I don't think that there was a moment in this match where, well, for me anyway, I'm not looking at it going, "This is dragging now." This this is dragging. They're just filling for time. I don't feel that because I just feel like it's it wasn't peaks and valleys. It was starting at one level, slow, slow, slow. Build, 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 build. It was a slightly slower build than perhaps we we wanted with this match. That perhaps you wanted with this match. That perhaps Micah needed in her current with a current in ring experience. But I don't think what they filled that 24 minutes with was bad at all. I think we had a great opener. Like you said, the callbacks to their Cinderella match. Brilliant. I really, really enjoyed that. And the fact that we saw that character progression from Micah, where we saw her go vindictive, 
We saw her go for the arm, trapping it in the barricade, kicking the barricade, not breaking the count, to then going into desperation, violence, literally just slapping Utami, trying something completely different, and then transitioning to just, I've got to try and survive this. Okay? And that character arc that we get in those 24 minutes didn't make it feel massively long to me. Certainly not 10 minutes too long. Certainly not. Oh, I nothing. I don't think cutting ten minutes off, like ten minutes off, is like me going extreme. There, cut like me cutting ten minutes off is like where I'd be at, where I'd be raving about it. Cut five minutes off, I, well, I probably have wouldn't be complaining about length as much as I am. It's it's a hard thing to explain because, but like, I wasn't bored, but like you mentioned that a steady escalation, I didn't see the escalation as steady, I thought we were on one level and then at a certain point a flip, um, we, we were flicking through a switch like there was three levels and we went up because like, when it got to the violent bit, like I was texting you while I was watching this so I, and I was like, oh, that German was particularly violent and like I love violent stuff as you know I enjoyed the slap off but the thing is, we did the slap off Went away, did other things, but went when went back to the slap off, and the, for me there wasn't any significant difference between the two. And the slap off came after the suplex spots. Like maybe the maybe the slap off spot went longer, and then we didn't have a slap off spot after the German. I know I think it was Velkers in our Discord mentioned he doesn't think that's a detriment. I don't necessarily think it's a detriment. It just it stuck out weirdly to me. I don't, the thing is, I don't even dislike this match. I don't even think... Like, I, th- I really like this match. It's on the cusp of being on that um, on my list. It just didn't quite make it for me. I think the slap-off worked. I mean, I completely see what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being negative about what you've said at all. But to me, you can see that as... Micah revisiting something because she hasn't got the offense to build anything else because she is ultimately a rookie. It could be the story of her offense being found out because she only has 18 months in-ring experience. That's how I viewed it. And that's why I said earlier about her still throwing the judo throws and the monkey flips, despite the fact that she's had her back worked for five minutes. But then, you know, she sells it. She sells it a lot better than, Mm -hmm. for example, Saika Matani. But... The selling of that and the fact that she goes back to the slaps, it almost tells a story of that desperation. I don't know what else to do. You know, I've thrown everything at you and you won't stay the fuck down. And that, for me, is compelling. I don't... The time... Oh, it was compelling enough for me. I just don't... It just wasn't... I just didn't rave about it. I, I just don't think it was that level, if you get me. I agree. I I agree with you, and I know what you're saying, and I know what you're saying, and I'm, you know, I'm not. I am disagreeing with you, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The time for me wasn't the be all and end all in this match. I didn't see it as the sole negative in the match. I thought it went long, and I think if you ask anyone that liked the match, they will agree that it went long. However, I think the storytelling, I think the action, I think the character development, especially on the on the point of Micah and the fact that they were able to put on this match, I think deserves that recognition. I think 
it was it, it is a four star match. It is a four and a, a four and a quarter star match for me. It's 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 everything that it should be. Because aside I mean, from the I'm, timing issue like, that you mentioned, I can't see how this is any different to the Tam and Starlight Kid match that we've given four stars to. This for me is better than that match. Yes, I agree that Tam is fantastic at those short sprints, and they're different types of matches. I understand that, but this for me was a really, really, really good match. And more importantly than whatever we rate it, it elevates Micah. And I think oh, that's but, um, the most important thing to come out of this match. I'm, I'm more sold on Micah getting more big matches down the line after watching this match. Yeah, yeah, um, me too. I, Absolutely. I, I do I do think she was definitely, like, both these girls were fun to... Because, like, a lot of new people would have come in to stardom and say the last 18 months. Like, we're two of those people. Well, maybe it was, like, two years ago. But you know what I mean? Like, we're two of those people who came in more recently. Like, we're in, like, that wave after um, EO Shirai got big in WWE and stuff. Mm. And um, so, like, immediately you're going to think back to last year's ninth anniversary show, which was exceptional. And then you had in the main event Momo versus Mayu. And because it's at the same event, it's going to draw comparisons almost, but not almost. It's, it's, un- it's unfair to compare the two just based on both experience and the type of match they're going to have. I think these two did exceptionally well with uh, all the things that could have went against this match. This match could have very easily, like, not it probably wouldn't have been, but like, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been hard to make this match an absolute shit show. Mm. And we had already seen an absolute shit show before, before it, this yeah. match. Yeah, so um, like, again, all the praise I see for this match is valid. I never see anyone talk about I haven't seen anyone talk about this match and think, um, and like, so you know how sometimes you see someone, especially on like Wrestle Kingdom, there you see someone talk about a match and in the back of your head it's like, oh, I, I, oh, like, do they actually like it this much or are they just trying to convince them? I'm um, trying to convince themselves it's that good, and like you can sort of tell the difference, but um, when it comes to how they talk about the match, I've not seen anyone talk about this match and think, oh, they're like I like again all the of the um, praise I've seen for this match, I agree with. It just didn't... It, it like It's just one of those cases where it didn't land as well for me as it did for other people. We've, I've had plenty of matches like that. And so have you. Like, for example, I don't like Segura versus Go from last year. Everyone loves that match. And I'm trying to think of an example of you. Where, well, the because big, I know the big you... example for me is the Arisa versus Utami match. Yeah, that's the thing. But the thing is, that match was a lot more divisive. But again, this match is kind of divisive as well, isn't it? I haven't, the thing is, my normal metric for this is cage match, but cage match seems to think this ma- this event is in the future. So... Oh, yeah. I've just realised. <laughs> I've just realised that. So I can't... Like, but, but that's why that's why I went to the Discord, because I have no real other way to do it. And like all of everyone in there seems to like it. Some people seem to have a similar view to me. Um, to you rather, and again, I can't fault it. I just it didn't it didn't land for me. And like, I know, like even like not in wrestling, in films, there's plenty of films like Jurassic Park didn't land for me. But a lot of the criticism seemed valid, no, and a lot of the praise seems valid, but it just didn't land. Like it's sort of yeah. the same. Like when to be fair, it's the same. We all have. In like between me and Gareth, major disagreements about say the Star Wars films. 
like major disagreements. It, it we try. I try not to bring it up. Um, and then sometimes I feel I just want an argument, so I bring up Star Wars in the group chat. <laughs> but um, yeah, I like. I can't beyond what I've said. I can't really quantify why this match didn't like land for me. It just didn't. Subjective, man. Wrestling is subjective. Some matches land, some matches don't. It's it's yeah. not the end of the world. What we will talk about is what happens afterwards as um, Sayakamatani then challenges Utami to a match for the red belt at Budokan with, let's call it reasy, uh, flimsy reasoning. Um, I have no... <laughs> this, these are her words. I have no record, but I do have a star crusher and a phoenix splash. Now, as far as challenges go to the red belt, that's that's a flimsy challenge, which Utami actually calls her out on, which is hilarious. Um, and initially, she looks like she's going to refuse, um, but relents as she says that stardom are looking toward their future. Kamatani claims that she is the future of stardom, and Utami claims that she is getting ahead of herself. Now, I like the tag team challenger dynamic. I've always liked the tag team challenger dynamic, the upstart versus the old head. And Saya has undoubtedly been get, uh, been getting better. And this is a huge, huge statement, a bold statement of intent by Stardom to, mm-hmm. you know, assuming that it's the Red Bell match, it's going to main event. Just assuming for a second that it is, okay? Because it might do. It might be Mayu versus Yoshiko. It might be this. But to main event Budokan with Saya Kamatani versus Utami is an enormous Bold. statement of intent by stardom to say we are investing fully in our future. We are focusing fully on the future. Now, I can't not like that. I cannot not like that statement. I think that's fantastic. I think it's tremendous, especially when you consider the future that stardom has. You've got Azumi who's just turned 18. You've got Starlight Kid who's just turned 20. You've got... um who else have we got that's young? I mean, we've got Momo, Momo, who's 20. Utami's 22. I mean, for God's sake, Saya Kamatani is the oldest member of um, Queen's Quest, and she's 24. And and she's the rookie. And she's the rookie, yeah. But when you consider that the stalwart, or one of the stalwarts of this division, of this entire roster is Mayu, and she's 27. Jesus Christ, the future's bright. The future's orange. Um, don't, don't say that. It's too soon after after he, that man left office to say future's orange. Anyway, um, <laughs> so in terms of the in terms of the, I'll go on to what I think about the actual um about the match itself in a second. But in terms of flimsy reasons for challenging, that's not the flimsy, flimsiest I've seen. To be fair, <laughs> the flimsiest I've seen is Cody when Ibushi challenged. Oh God, yeah. Kenny Omega, oh. and then a bit Cody just walks into the room going, "Hey Kenny, we're friends." Um, can How's I? about it? <laughs> yeah, can I be in the match? And it's like, uh, like some like I, I, I some AEW fans in my life, you know, gross, but you know, I'm willing to move on if you are. Um, and they wonder why I don't like Cody to this day. That's fucking why. <laughs> that is fucking why. But um. In terms of like the match itself, I do agree it's a statement. And um, to be fair, I, um, part of me is thinking 
is that really where you want to go with? But the other part of me is thinking, um, I don't want them to back out of this because how much was both Okada and Naito's momentum sort of stuff? Well, Naito didn't have momentum. That was kind of the point. But like, how long did it take them to recover after? Like, it took Okada years of Tanahashi to recover from being vilted out by Wrestle Kingdom main event. And you don't want, on one hand, you don't want to hold off on, on like crowning new aces because you look at say Noah in the mid two thousands, um, where the belt basically devoted to Masawa because there was no one else because they had um Rikio hadn't gone round up gone down too well marifuji hadn't gone down too well and what's his plus um i've forgotten his name um but like three champions didn't go down too well oh akiyama akiyama didn't go down terribly well because just because of how how it was booked and you don't uh, so you don't want to hold off on that because main event scenes get stagnant quick look at Nijapan. japan so and and that's not completely down to who's in it. That's also down to how it's booked. And Sardom te- seems to be making a conceited effort not to fall into formula, which is good. Um, so in terms of this match, as a statement, I like it. But I think we all kind of went out of minds a bit too much when we saw um, Budokan. If you get me, like we all... Like, and the closest I can think about is like All In, where people expected like CM Punk to turn up. People expected um, something crazy. They expected like an IWGP Championship match against the TNA Champion or something, and that was never going to happen. So I think part of the reason why this is a shock is because we expected more than Stardom was ever intending. But also, like, it's it's not like this is bad. This is actually, like, again, because I'm racking my head that Utami's going to be champion going into this. I can't think of, unless you were going to hold off on the Momo thing, which, like, I'm not being funny, could have really, because of the story we were telling with the Momo feud, could have really hurt her. Mm. I don't know. I can't think of a better match going into this. Like, who else would you have? Maybe, like, Tam would be cool, but also she has her stuff with may going on right now um so you'd have to sort of rush that one you have um i guess you could do if you're going by like faction heads you'd be left with sort of tora or a may rematch and i don't think a rematch should headline this i think it should be something new and in term, i think it should be a statement so i'm kind of happy they went with trying to make a statement in that with a young person's company we're going to continuously try and shake up the main event because to be fair stardom's always shaking up the main event but it's because they've mostly been forced to shake up the main event like people leave people um awful things happen so i don't know I'm, try- I'm trying to trying to i've been trying to work through my actual feelings on it ever since it was announced because um i saw i, I skipped through this promo because i i had stuff and because i had <laughs> I literally just sent my, um, my nieces and went to the... I was looking after them because me, me and my brother are the only ones in the house right now. So, me, so like, Callum and Wendell on, like, a walk with him. Um, and so I was skipping through the promo so just so I wouldn't be watching wrestling when we got back. And... <laughs> I've talked to you, to you about it and I was like, 
oh, so size um challenging that's interesting it's like no at least it's not budicon and you're like no it's budicon it's like oh okay then and i've sort of been trying to sort through ever since and i haven't quite sorted through it yet as you can kind of tell by the fact i've been rambling for the last few minutes um i'm not quite sure what to feel about this yet because i don't want to have be that voice going oh just have faith that Saladin will do it well because like i i've i used to be that voice with new japan and it burned me so I don't, I just don't know what to think. I think it would be a good match at the very least. I think it would be, I think it's a good statement to make. But beyond that, I'm not quite sure what to think. I can understand the criticism. Um, you know, Sayo's improved greatly, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, there are gaping holes in his selling and things like that. But. I don't want to focus on that. You know, you've you've hit the nail on the head with everything you've said. I think it's I think it's great that they are putting so much faith in people like Sire, and a constant shake of the main event scene makes everyone on the roster feel important, and that's what you need to do. And I think Budokan's going to be a very very interesting show. I think I think you're absolutely right. I think people have got misconceptions that they're going to sell out or you know as as good as as they can do in uh, in COVID. In COVID times, that you know they're going to be selling three thousand, three thousand five hundred tickets to Budokan. They're not because nobody aside from um, New Japan have that drawing power. So yes, it's going to be a big show. Yes, it's going to be the biggest show that Stardom run. But use this as an opportunity to make that statement to say we are here and this is our future. And because you have got so many years ahead of them, then to get invested in these people, I think I think it's a really bold move, and I. The more I think about it, the more I like it. So we'll see We'll see what else is going to be on the card because at the moment, obviously, we only know that Azumi versus Natsupoi and then the rumoured Mayu versus Yoshiko is on the card. And then, of course, they have announced that there will be a rumble. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen that. Fuck's sake, I'm so done with rumbles. Well, it's going to be nice. It's going to be interesting. And for people at least who... It's not, at least it's not a Rambo. At least it's not Jesus a fucking Christ. Rambo. Exactly. And actually, that does that does sort of play into a couple of the questions, because we're going to go into questions in a moment. Um, I just want to quickly, Chris, go into the next couple of match cards. So, obviously, like I said before, the New Year's Stars Tour wraps up on the 24th with a day show and a night show. So, the day show, Chris, um, this is the card. We've got, we open with Ruwaka versus Natsukatora. Um, tag match, Sire and Utami versus Mayu and Lady C. Um, match three, Sire, Ida and Starlight Kid versus Tam and Yunagi. Looking forward to that match. I think that'll be great. Um, Suri and Natsupoi versus Momo and Azumi. Same for that. And then the main event is six-woman tag, Julia, Micah and Himika versus Konami, Julia and Saki Kashima. So that is the daytime show. The evening show has got Rewaka versus Lady C as the opening contest. We've got singles match, Sayurida versus Himika. Uh, we've then got a three-way elimination match, which apparently is Stardom's new kink at the moment, uh, with the team of Queen's Quest, which is Momo, Yutami, Saya, and Izumi, taking on DDM, Julia, Siori, Maika, Natsupoi, and Oida Tai. Tora, Saki, Konami, and B. 
And then we close that with two singles matches, which I'm very, very much excited about. We have Starlight Kid versus Unagi, and we've got Mayu versus Tam. So those are the cards for the 24th. Is there anything that stands out on those two cards to you, Chris, before I go on to the Corican show? Um, well, obviously, for Mayu versus Tam match. <laughs> That's been building for, what, three months now, four months? Are you surprised? Are you surprised they're throwing it away? Not throwing it away. That's unfair. But putting it here, yeah, throwing it on a, especially on a, like on a two in one day card. Because you, because as a general rule, you should always expect lower quality in both cards, just because. Well, the rest of them twice in matches, one day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. I, I am actually, like, I don't know, I don't know, like. Where else would you fit it, though? Maybe in a match in February, but then I guess we're trying to. I guess they've realised that we need to build to this Yashika match, so um, so they just get. We realise we need to get out of the way. I hope not, because this has been a really, really well built feud. <laughs> Considering yeah, it started on shaky ground, it's been a really, really mm-hmm. well built feud. It'd be a real shame to see them spaff it up the wall because they've got something else in the pipeline. Yeah, maybe they do, like, it's weird, cause I literally do think that's what it is, but I think, like, they realise they can't rush the Yashiko stuff. But Mayu has loose ends to tie up, so, like, I think the best way you could possibly do this is have um, Tam win. And then um, have that be, a, be like, a castle. Like, for example, like, to draw a comparison, going back to WWE, you know when John Cena lost to The Rock and then it was on hit, but ended up with a supposed like bad kayfabe year, despite the fact he was still fucking winning. Do that, but have Mayu lose here, and then have Mayu lose at um, Budokan. The uh, in the Budokan, and then give Mayu that axe. Yeah, give Mayu that axe to grind. I think that's the best way you could do it without completely spaffing this feud. To be honest, so. Let's have a look then at the Korokan show, then just quickly whipping through this card. Open with three-way battle, Natsukatora, Gokikan Death, and Lady C. Um, we've then got a six-woman tag, Starlight Kid, Saida, and Ruwaka taking on Utami, Azumi, and Sayakamatani. We've then got a 10th anniversary special match between Mayu Iwatani and Saki Kashima. Um, tag match, Julia and Maiga taking on Tam and Yunagi. Um, and then the two championship matches, we have got B Priestley and Konami, the Goddess of Stardom champions, taking on Himika and Natsupoi. And then we are headed off with the SWA World Championship match, Suri versus Momo Watanabe. And I just want to ask you, Chris, at Lone underscore, underscore Saber says, he's hyped up there, hyped. Uh, for the Momo versus Suri title match scheduled for the 30th of January, do you think we are going to see Momo as the new champion, or this match is only made to consolidate Suri's dominance? Honestly, I'm rooting for Momo. In my opinion, no. Momo isn't winning this, and the only reason I say that is because the rules that they've instigated for the SWA championship means that if... Suri continues to, if Suri holds the belt, there are more challenges, especially at the moment in the COVID era, whereas Momo, because she is Japanese heritage, she can't defend it against anyone from Japan, which means that it rules out damn near most of your roster. Keep it on Suri, 
especially until this pandemic clears up. Well, that's my opinion, Chris. Are you of the same opinion? Well, seeing how the SWA belt has been going, I wouldn't be completely surprised if Momo did win this and then we changed it or but you just need to come from a different part of Japan. <laughs> it's like I I'm from Tokyo. We are from uh Yoka Yeah, come in. You're fine. Yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree. I it it'd be a bit weird to put it on Momo because then she can basically only play face um Shiri again or B. And I guess they're kind of building to a B thing, but they kind of j- honestly it seems like one of those things that B just does and it's never gonna go anywhere. I I get that impression as well, which is unfortunate. So unless it builds to a B thing, yeah, I don't see Shiri losing this unless we just want Momo having a trinket to carry around but if you're going to do that I don't know why you didn't integrate the Shiri rule to begin with so yeah I I just see it staying on Shiri let's hit some quick fire questions then Chris because this this podcast has gone bafflingly long Um, so first up um, Mad Genius Val on Twitter has asked any first guess regarding the Cinderella tournament potential winner that kind of stuff I had booking idea but that's been Wandered by the announcement that Mayu versus Tam is going to be done on the 24th. My idea was that, depending when the Cinderella tournament is, because it hasn't been announced yet, I assume now it's going to be after Budokan. Um, mm-hmm. My idea was that um, Mayu and Tam would meet in the final of the Cinderella tournament, uh, with Tam going over there, um, which I think would make sense. Um, it gives... Tam another definitive win over Mayu. It gives Tam something. It gives her that thing that she hasn't had when she was part of Stars, um, and it gives her more importantly a shot at the red belt um, or the white belt. I mean, she has got that thing with Julia. You know, don't forget that promise I gave you. So, winning the Cinderella tournament would allow her to have that match with Julia. So there is that as well. I think Tam is a good shout to win the Cinderella tournament this year. Um, but Chris, what about you? Um, well, the last few, hang on, like, I'm not sure if the Cinderella. I'm not going to bother. But like the last few years, we've used for Cinderella to build someone, like much like the New Japan Cup used to be. Um, but like, um, like Arisa, who'd gone to be way, but this is actually mentioned um, last podcast when we asked about who we think would be pushed. Um, honestly, if Jamie Hayley came back, I don't, I wouldn't rule out her. Uh, if, she, if she could come back in terms of like having to establish someone quickly but in terms of I'm trying to think of who they're looking to push going forward because at the end of the day it, Cinderella will be after Budokan won't it? You would have assumed so yes they've just got a lot so, of holding dates for Corican at the moment Yeah so well to be fair Cinderella tends to be one day unless we're going to go crazy and like expand the field Um. so I know it's hard to tell because, like, Sardom after, um, Sardom after Budokan is going to be much different to Sardom before. Hmm. Well, not much different, but the landscape's going to we're going to do something to change the landscape on such a big show. Like we saw it after um, Yokohama, where we had like new roster additions, and and after like Sendai, where we had um, a new champion. Or Astro Osaka, where everything was sort of solidified. After these big shows, the landscape tends to be at least a little bit different. So making a call now would would be 
I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, it, it might be shooting your load a bit early. But if I had to guess, based on what we've seen now, based on who they might want to push going forward, someone from Cosmic Angels, maybe Tam, because she hasn't had a singles belt yet, has she? So it might, that might be her catalyst. When you consider as well that the last couple of people to win the Cinderella tournament have gone for the white belt, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, who's won it? You've got, you've got Julia, Arissa, Momo, Tony Storm, Mayu. Have all won the tournament, so yeah. Well, Tony, I think isn't. I'm pretty sure if I remember my history right, Tony's the last one who went for the red belt. I believe so. Yes, we could be wrong. Please correct us, but I think you might. This be is right, off the top. But... This is off the top because it's after Tony. It was Tony was 2017, wasn't she? No, 2018. Tony. No. Wait. No, 2017, wasn't she? Because wasn't it Tony Storm, Cinder. then Momo, Brella, then Arissa. Or am I, no, I doing that wrong? Let's have a look. Um, Cinderella set up 2020. 20, like, just... Josie said... Right, why isn't there just a massive thing for... Yeah. Um, no, because May was 2017, wasn't she? That's how she faced... Um, That's how she faced him. Shirai, yeah. No, that was 2016. That was 2016. She faced off with EO at um, May Gold. Uh, okay. Gold yeah, May. so then after... So then it would be Tony, and then Arisa was 2019, so I'm forgetting who 2018 was. Momo. Momo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Tony was the last one to go for the red belt. But you, you come here for our professionalism, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just leaving it at that. So, final couple of questions. Um, Lane Smackdown on Twitter has said, is Kyrie Sane allowed to work for Stardom at an anniversary show, or is she still under contract with the WWE? She's still in the contact with the WWE, so that was uh, that was fairly well, easy to answer. She was, yeah. We talked about this last time, didn't we? We did. Um, we did. We talked about it And yeah, she's still contracted, and apparently there were talks, and they didn't go well. There's conflicting reports there, and it seems to be depending on how happy you are with the WWE existing. So. That dicey ground. It's weird because like um, there's not many insiders when it comes to stardom. Is there? It's a surprisingly small, um, especially in terms of like English speakers. It's a bit of a small knit group, isn't it? Like a bit tightly knit. So like you don't get many leaks. But which is why I'm saying if anyone works for stardom and they want to be our insider, we will happily not tell stardom, but we will like I don't know push your Twitter. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a shit posting channel? We'll happily push that. We'll post your memes, and, and, and well, actually, depends what the memes are. We we have a, we do have a hashtag image to upkeep, especially now that I'm a YouTube star. So, <laughs> final question, then, Chris, and we'll do some final comments as well. Uh, Velkids just put in the in the Discord matches have Budokan so far. If we we're to assume that Nene versus Momo and Yoshiko versus Mayu, overall thoughts, Chris, how do you feel about the card? I think we've already covered quite a lot of this, but just yeah, summarize it. I think it looks solid. I think as big matches go, it's weird because like um, the main event, like when it comes, when you think of like big shows, the main events will always be seen as match of the year contenders. But a lot of the time, the undercard is just sort of it's there to it's not there to steal the show necessarily. Like you look at say New Japan match of the year normally comes from Wrestle Kingdom, but how often is that the undercard? There's normally the main event there. So I think if you have a good top three, 
matches, you're completely fine. And they have a solid title match along with a um what what I imagine for people who follow Joshi like outside of stardom and have been longer term stardom fans than we are is a dream match. So I a young a young title match and a dream match that's not bad going for a big show. And with stardom a small roster where everyone's faced faces everyone over time that's probably the best you can do agreed agreed right chris let's wrap it up there thank you so much for listening guys we really do appreciate it you can tell we've missed doing these because we've gone a really really long time so <laughs> props to you if you've got to this point in our podcast um you can check out the podcast thank you so much subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts whether that's apple podcast google play stitcher podbean spotify wherever you get your podcasts we are everywhere uh, don't forget to check out the website www.popmania.co.uk um you can talk to us on twitter at, at the stardom cast please join our discord it's a great place to talk all things wrestling everyone's really really nice they're really welcoming so please go and check that out uh, you can talk to me on Twitter at at real Rob Goodwin. Chris, where can they find you on Twitter? Because you actually do have a Twitter now after you moaned at me last time. Yeah, well, like, yeah, I, I'm going to change the name, though. I, do, I don't like Viat, because basically I took over the, young, the old Stardom cast. Not the, not the old Stardom, the old um, Young Lion Twitter. And um, I, I'm not a fan of Viat, so I'm going to change Viat. But for now, it's that Chris loves Pira. Okay, don't forget to check out Chris's YouTube channel. It is good for the amount of shit I give him. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for listening, guys. We will be back very soon. Keep your eyes peeled to our Twitter and our Discord for our next episode. We want to try and drop one before the Corican show and then after the Corican show. If that doesn't happen, then it'll just be both after the Corican show. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.